This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew, makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. And by the American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the HA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. And by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time? We talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Welcome to Experimental Brewing at Homebrew Con 2018. We're so glad to see you all. We have a jam-packed show for today. We're going to be talking to international guests. We're going to be uh, ex- releasing some experimental results of a fast lager fermentation. We're going to be screwing around. We're going to be tasting some beer. And to start us off, we have the gentleman who's the host of this party, Mr. Gary Glass, the director of the AHA. Thanks for being here, Gary. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great to be here. Man, you know, it just wouldn't be right to do this podcast without you being the first guest. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how's HomebrewCon going this year for you? Oh, uh, it's going fantastic. You know, this is one of the biggest day we've ever had. Uh, How many are we at? We're at 3,200. 3,200 uh, of you guys attendees. out there. Yeah. So, it's, so yeah. yeah what? Well, See, they're either the biggest or the second biggest really? in, in the history of the event. Way to go, Portland and homebrewers. Well, and so any, any big surprises about Portland for the, the conference? Oh, the, the amazing beer scene is not a big surprise, actually. No. So, well, I was going to say, uh, how many breweries have you been to since you've been here? Uh, uh, four. Four, all right. That's more actually more than I would have thought. I, I don't actually get out much during this week. This is like the busiest week of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. so after after being to all these homebrew cons through the years, what's your favorite part of the whole thing? Uh, the the people, like the, uh, getting our members together, 
from from all over the world. Yeah, uh, ha having them gather in one place and, and getting to talk to, to homebrewers, I, I always learn so much from from all the the amazing homebrewers that they come to this event. Uh, so that, yeah, it's, it's it's really about the the people that are that are part of this hobby. Man, I agree. That's that's the thing that I look forward to every year. There are people that I only see here once a year. And it's, it's so good to be able to actually say hi to them, you know? Not to mention the fact that all the people you meet online, you actually get to put a face to and stuff. Right, yeah. So, and, and there's beer. Oh, there's beer? <laughs> there's beer. You guys have beer? <laughs> I don't have beers. So oh, beer. look at that. Poor Gary. Yeah, see, uh, so, all so, right. Uh, see, there goes Aaron. Aaron uh, Aaron's a lifesaver. Right. <laughs> so uh, how, how's the competition going this year? The competition went really smoothly this year. Did it really? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually barely even checked in on them because they had it all under control. So wow. Uh, yeah, testing out a, a new system for for handling the judging. We had the the mini best of shows uh, separately run. Right. So we were able to get through the categories much faster. Uh, you know, it was kind of a, a trial run for for this concept this year. So well, what we've learned is that we we actually do have the capacity to add more. Uh, more more entries to the wow. to the final round of the competition, which is really our, our goal. And, and that's always something that people have been asking for. So now we have the system in place to do that. Right, exactly. Wow, that is really cool, man. So uh, what's what's on the horizon for the AHA? Where are things going? Uh, hopefully up. <laughs> <laughs> always up. Always up. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 an interesting time for for Humbering, but. Uh, you know the 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 economy is getting pretty hot, and we yeah. have this interesting cyclical relationship with the with the economy. So you know, people don't have as much time, uh, and I think we have people coming in and out of the hobby a little faster than than we do. So keeping up with that uh, is something that, uh, that that's an interesting challenge for us. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, well I was going to say oh, I well, know well, for the past couple of years we've we've been talking that you know home marines kind of seen a little bit of a slowdown. But uh, do we see that changing now? Is it, are, are we thinking, or well, it does seem to be to be stabilized at the at the retail level. That's one of the things we do, and one of the one of the great things about having a national organization is we are able to survey uh, the all the, the homebrew supply shops in the country uh, and kind of keep a track on uh, on the health of the of, of homebrewing. Uh, and and what we've seen is that there has been a, a dip for uh, many of the retailers over the last few years. Uh, but that seems to be that seems to be leveling off, and, and so that's I, I, great, yeah, man. yeah. And I think a part of that is, uh, you know, that people are just so busy right now. Yeah, that it's not so much that there are fewer homebrewers, but those homebrewers are are brewing uh, either in, in less frequently or uh, or in uh, smaller volumes, uh, just because they don't have the time uh, or the space. And, and and so that that's had an impact on the retailers that, that perhaps you know the, the hobby as a whole isn't isn't necessarily right. experiencing because the homebrewers are still out there. So it's kind of, it's kind of a different theory of homebrewing than it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Jesus. If only somebody was writing a book about simplicity. Just what I was about to say. Hmm. Hmm. What a great idea. Yeah, yeah. and in, that just happens this. to be us. Watch for it in the spring. Simple homebrewing from us idiots. <laughs> well, I was going to say you're not including me in that, right? No, 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 no. Just the two the, idiots here. The, Gary, the, Gary is not an idiot. The two on that. my right. Although, well, so, I was going to say, any other trends that you're seeing in, in homebrewing, uh, particularly either from the talks or what the beers that you're seeing around, or uh, well, I think the, the the interesting thing that I've seen is the the, the explosion in in different styles that that are coming out that are being invented by homebrewers and quickly being picked up by by the commercial brewers. Uh, 
and how quickly they those popularities go. So, I mean, you got this hazy IPA here. Um, well, and, and now we've had the opposite of the hazy IPA. We've had the brewed IPA come out right. too. Yeah, and so I mean, it, the 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 way that that uh, the, those new styles come about and become instantly popular, and and you know, questioning what how, is there is there a longevity to these new styles? You know. Um, yeah, that, well, that, that's that's one of the things that I, I think is going to be interesting. Yeah, I agree, man. It, it, it's one thing to come up with something different. It's another thing for everybody to accept it and uh, and keep doing it. All right. Well, and I think we can't ever actually leave HomebrewCon without talking about the next HomebrewCon. Because I, I think the biggest thing that I always feel whenever I come to one of these things is, wait, when can we do this again? In a year. <laughs> in a year. In a year. And we will be on the opposite coast next year uh, uh, in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. First time in Providence. First time in New England since, I believe, the early 90s. Since 1991 in, in Manchester, 91. New Hampshire. Yeah, Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, so I, I have a feeling it will be a little bit bigger than the last time <laughs> we were in New England. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, very excited to be getting back to that, that part of the country. I've got a lot of family back there, so it's... Uh, it's a, it's a, it's long overdue. Kind of like you know, it took us twenty years to come back to Portland. I, don't <laughs> I know, know man. The yeah, last time it was important was the year before I started home brewing. I've been waiting, <laughs> and now the wait is over. The, yeah, yeah. yeah all, we'll, all I know we'll is, be back in, in less than twenty years. Good. Okay. Thank you. Thank well, you. All I know is if we're in Providence next year, I want tickets either to see the Red Sox or the Paw Sox. Go have a nice game experience. More Absolutely. reason to be in New England. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've actually been to Fenway Park twice, and so I, I, another opportunity to get to that great ballpark. Uh, every time I've gone, I'm, they happen to be playing the Oakland A's, which I grew up in the, the San Francisco Bay Area. That was my team, so and I, I lived through the experience. <laughs> well, so uh, one other question that I know that's hanging out there is uh, people have been watching the patterns for where the Homebrew Con is. You know, we've been doing that east, central, west thing for a while. But we do have some listeners who are asking, so hey, is HomebrewCon ever going to come to the South? Yes. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so for, so for uh, Brad Warden there on, on Facebook, there, there you go. There's your answer. Yes, it's coming to the South sometime soon. Sometime. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's on the books. I'm just not going to tell you where. Yeah, that's <laughs> a- <laughs> Gary has to preserve his secrets. Really? Man, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Oh today. yeah, yeah, my pleasure. It's we, you know, great to be with you. well, and, and like I said, it's a tradition. We got to start with you as our first guest, and thank you for the great party, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, we'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. Right. So we have a couple minutes till our next guest shows up. Does anybody out there have any questions we can answer? You know us. We like to answer questions because we're fools. Anybody? Any, any statements you can make? Like, why does Denny play that ukulele? Yeah, we have one over here. Come on, come on over, man. So the question is, since it's club night tonight, am I going to have any crazy saisons? I'm trying to think. Uh, the craziest saison I'm going to have on tonight is my Laurel Canyon, which I've talked about on the, the show. And we're going to talk a little bit to the folks from YCH here in a moment all about the uh, American Noble Hops that are in that one. But every other saison that I have, well, it's, it's actually... Fairly normal. Pretty normal for Drew. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of weird, but it'll be it, it'll be a nice change of pace. I, I, at this point in time, if I do something wacky, I think everybody expects it. So it, me being normal is now the new wacky. 
Zealand guys want since they're right here. Yeah, hey, come on. Come on, guys. Come on, come on, come on. And now we go, well, we talked about Homebrew Con being in the south. Now we're talking about a Homebrew Conference way in the south. That's right. Uh, we're about to talk to some friends of mine from New Zealand who invited me over to their conference there. Uh, we have two of the organizers of the conference and the winner of the Homebrew Competition. You guys move right in there, talk right into those mics. <laughs> don't, don't be afraid to basically just kind of be... Yeah, right. <laughs> so we have with us Carl Summerfield and Ed Bream, who are two of the organizers of the conference, and Colin, whose last name I didn't get. What's your last name, Colin? Smith. Smith. Oh, that's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. Colin Smith was the winner of Brewmania, which is the most fun homebrew competition I have ever judged. So, uh, Carl and Ed, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the conference and what inspired you to do it? Want me to take this one? Yeah, take it, Carl. Okay. Go ahead. Well, uh, I'm friends with Mike Stringer. He owns a homebrew store uh, with Ed, and at one point... I went round to see Mike to pick up some grain and we got talking over a cup of tea and we basically said, New Zealand really needs a homebrewers conference. And, um, and Mike went, oh, he said, do you know how much work these things are? Anyway, we got talking and talking and it just seemed like more of a good idea. So we thought, oh, we'll give it a go. We'll, we'll We'll kick it around and we'll see where we go with it. So we decided to meet at our cafe in a couple of weeks' time. And Mike brought along this guy that I didn't know called Ed. <laughs> and uh, Ed owned the homebrew store with Mike. So the three of us sat down and we opened our laptops and we started to plan a homebrew conference. And, and this year was the second one? Uh, this was our third one. Third one. Man, you guys have done a killer, killer job with it. No, I mean, it, just listening to Denny talk about it, it's like for a conference that, that's young... Uh, it sounds like you guys are just really killing it. Actually, uh, surprisingly well organized for a bunch of homebrewers. Well, I think we're you. just good in winging it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just got very lucky. Just got very lucky, and the the big disasters turned out not to be as big as we thought. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so tell us a little bit about the competition you did this year, Brumania. So Brumania is a brainchild of uh, Mike and me, and we thought about how can we make a brewing competition that's social and not just people sitting around the table in flights of three or so and judging BJCP style, um, which is not very social. So we figured we'll do something which is kind of a crowd judging and people just vote for the beer they like and it's totally unfair because um, <laughs> you can have a, a lager versus an imperial stout and it'll kill your palate. But in the end, it's a, um, yeah, it's a crowd-like competition, but the best, the cream rises to the crop, Carl used to say, and still says, and he's right. We've had uh, the same brewer make the top three um, brewers in two years following, so there's something wow. about to be said uh, about quality beer. So brewers have to enter three different beers, which get them through three different rounds, and there's a bit of strategy about which beer to enter when, because, of course, if you enter a beer fairly late, people are fairly tipsy by that point. You might... <laughs> You might want to enter a stronger beer, you know, right. where the subtleties are not as appreciated. Um, and in the end, the best 10 beers um, will be compared in terms of how many votes they got. And out of those 10 beers, five will be then judged by our VIP judges like uh, Danny or whoever we fly in. People with actual pellets. <laughs> so, Wait, so, but you did just say Denny. <laughs> hey, we like Denny. <laughs> 
I like Denny too, but I'm not going to give him credit for having a palate. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, it was really good for Colin. <laughs> yeah, right. So, Colin, what beers did you enter that got you the win? I entered a American um, IPA. Get a bit closer. Oh. American IPA, a uh, an English porter, and a raspberry wheat beer. Right. And which of those was your favorite, personally? Probably the raspberry wheat. Yeah. I, I remember that one, man. It was really, really well done. And I'm not a kind of guy who likes wheat beers. So it's, I kept saying that to uh, Randy and Annie as we were judging, you know. So, um, I, in the first round at our table, we had a Douglas fir beer. And I would like to meet the guy who brewed that someday and explain to him why he should never do it again. <laughs> It was an interesting beer. Interesting <laughs> is really kind, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> But you can probably also use it to flavor your bathtub or something, you know. So yeah, right. <laughs> a little aromatherapy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so have you started planning the conference for next year? Um, we're currently in, the, in a different event, um, stressful, sort of have to finish it up um, thing. There's a, comp uh, there's a beer festival, the biggest one in New Zealand, called Beervana, and For some weird reason, it, it feels familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, uh, I don't know, pretty much every substantial craft brewery is there. And they have a homebrew competition that they completely ran to the ground over time. And it ended up like more of a beer pong competition in the end or something. Um, and they asked us if we can kind of do something about that. <laughs> and Carl had the genius idea um, to come up with a competition called Beat the Brewer. So we give them five official famous craft brewery recipes and they have to clone them and the craft brewer will get a blind panel of all the beers that's been brewed and he has to pick his beer and the beers that he think made it wow. closest so there's a chance that he picks somebody else's beer as his beer so that could be exciting <laughs> <laughs> that could either be really exciting or that could turn really disastrous particularly if the brewers decide i'm sick of this and because they keep losing <laughs> Well, it's the first time we do it. Let's see if it's the last time. <laughs> <laughs> and there's only, there's five different beers, five different brewers. So even if one of them gets a bit angry, it shouldn't be too bad. <laughs> so all, all the brewers are from New Zealand, I assume. They're famous New Zealand craft breweries. Yeah. Right. Well, so who are, can you name the breweries? Yeah, no? yeah, Carl. Yeah, we sure can. Uh, Liberty Brewing. Yeah. Um, Funk Estate. Um, Behemoth. Yep. Boneface. Uh, and Renaissance. Yep. Wow. Hmm. Cool. Oh, sorry, Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for translating that into American. <laughs> and, you know, I don't recall having a chance to try any of those beers when I was there, so you'll have to send some over to me. We probably should, yeah. <laughs> Especially Liberty is all about the hops. You'd love them. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, these guys are coming down to spend a few days with me afterwards, and they brought a bunch of New Zealand hops, and we're going to be brewing my rye IPA recipe with all New Zealand hops in it, so... Should be very interesting. And what I'm even more excited about is we're going to be making kiwi pies while we brew. That's right. I introduced Denny to the uh, humble mince and cheese pie. Carl got me addicted to kiwi pies while I was down there. I had one, and then I had to have at least one every day. And it, it is a miracle I didn't come home 20 pounds heavier than when I went. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not kidding. He texted me internationally <laughs> I did from the other side of the planet to say oh my freaking god New Zealand pies yeah oh man they are amazing they, they are the best and I am so excited to actually get instructions in how to make them 
And, uh, and then uh, to complete the cultural exchange, we're going to be uh, doing some salmon on a plank afterwards so they can see how we do things here in the Northwest. Yes, coming soon to Experimental Brewing, we're changing the show. We're going to add a cooking show to the list. Just all New Zealand pies. <laughs> oh, boy. That'd be great, man. We can like make a different one every week and do a review. Yep, there New Zealand go. pies and the guys that love them. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. That's me. <laughs> so there'll be more ukulele and more pies. More ukulele and more. You know, may, I might have to like come up with a ukulele pie song. <laughs> Brilliant. Pie, 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 pie. <laughs> well, there is a song called Who Ate All the Pies. <laughs> really? Okay, there we go. Drew's been trying to get me to learn something like like hard rock, but I would rather learn Who Ate All the Pies. I, no, I still want you for the brew files. I want you to do a ukulele theme that sounds like the X-Piles theme. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or I want you to do Ace of Spades on the ukulele. You're going to have to wait till I actually learn how to play. <laughs> <laughs> Get some motorhead going. Really? Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us today, talking about the conference. Uh, let me tell you all, if you have a chance to go to New Zealand, you really want to go. Uh, part of the conference is this wonderful festival called March Fest. Uh, Food, beer, music, it's amazing. Go, go to New Zealand in March. Go to Nelson and check it out. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. And, and I assume there's a website for the, for the conference? nzhc.nz. Carl, you can okay. translate it that to is, American. Uh, nzhc.nz. <laughs> oh, thank, you. That, thank you. That makes much more sense. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a whole bunch for being here today. Yeah. Uh, get the Z out of here. Thanks for having <laughs> us. Thank you. We'll, we'll see you later and uh, have a lot of fun down in Eugene. Definitely. All right. Uh, next up, I see Garrett. Garrett, yep. you're out there. While, the while we're in the international mode, have a seat here, Garrett. I'll go get your beers while you're talking to Drew. All right. Oh, yeah. I'm not suddenly the lead on the mic. What's going to happen here? No. All right. Yeah, Garrett, just come uh, grab a seat. Get your headphones on. And feel free to talk into the mic like it's your good personal friend. All right. Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> yeah, Garrett's just apologizing for being late. Uh, this is HomebrewCon. There is no such thing as a schedule. There's a suggestion. All right. So, uh, Garrett, uh, you've been on the show before because we, we talked all about you know, uh, corn and, and beer and, and what's going on down there in South America. So, but for everybody who didn't hear the episode, it, let's go in and reintroduce yourself to the, to the world. Sure. Uh, is that better? Yeah. Right there? All right. Yeah, my name is Garrett, Garrett Garfield. Um, originally from McAllen, Texas. Thanks. Originally from McAllen, Texas, and uh, I've been living in Santiago, Chile for the last seven years and homebrewing for most of that time. Well, and now not just homebrewing. Now you've got the the metery up there, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Starting up a metery. Hopefully, uh, be able to start selling in a few months. So, just depends how all the fun paperwork, government bureaucracy goes. Well, I was gonna say, so if I were trying to open a metery in California, I'd I'd, I'd expect to understand the level of uh, paperwork and bureaucracy. What what is that like in Chile? It's god awful. <laughs> it makes California look efficient. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're notorious for for their paperwork. They really are. So, it it works eventually, but it's uh it's not fun. So, what sort of uh, meads are you uh, hoping to launch with? Well, uh, basically like a like a session mead, a carbonated uh, sparkling mead. So about seven percent alcohol using uh, native Chilean honeys. Um, there's a whole there's two hundred different monofloral varieties there, and no one's really making mead with them. Uh, so doing something with that that comes from down south. Um, and then also using uh, like 
fruits that have taken off and become pretty pretty big there uh, that you guys buy a lot here in the northern hemisphere when mm -hmm. it's out of season, like uh, cherries and blueberries, yeah. and also grapes because you know it's a wine country, so lots of uh, good wine grapes: Merlot, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, Pais, which is a, a special one there. So those are going to be some of the things I'm working with. Cool. And what do you think is the most unique Chilean honey that you've that you've played with so far that we know nothing about? Uh, so there's this one. There's a. It's like a South American hazelnut, mm -hmm. um, avellano in Spanish. And supposedly when uh, so it it shows up a lot in other honeys from that area from down south, um, and it lends a green color to the mead, and it makes it look like it's glowing in the dark. So that's a weird little plus, and so, it's good. So a green glowing mead. Yeah, I, I think you, if you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, you just have to call on, I think, the ooze. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The slime. I've lost my beer glass. <laughs> Somebody get this man a beer glass. Okay, Gert, which one do we want to start with? Um, let's start with the, the purple corn and the, and the growler we can. Okay. All right, so, yeah, it, it, let's explain to people. It, this is that whole Chicho Marita thing, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's it. We can get it open. Jeez. These things. <laughs> there we go. All right. All right. Looks carbonated. That's good. It survived the trip. All right. Is this your glass? Yeah. Let me let me just get a little water in there. Sure. So yeah, this is a, a beer. <laughs> awesome. Denise is no longer beer glassless. But I am classless. Would you want more? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's cool. Okay. All right. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the color of this, folks. That's not fruit. Yeah. No, that's corn. All right. So ex <laughs> explain uh, explain the about it to, to people. All right. So the idea with this was just to... Um, Anybody got an empty glass you want to taste? We have more. Yeah, there's, there's a lot, please. <laughs> Here comes the crowd. Help yourself. Uh, yeah, so the whole idea with this was just to, to use corn like how a lot of people do, like with pre-mails and things, um, but just using what I got available went to the to the main market in Santiago. Whoa. It, it kind of reminds me of a tortilla. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because I, I don't know if it's the power of suggestion or what, but there is a very distinct fruitiness to this, almost like a, a, a red berry. And, but that's all just purple corn, right? Or blue corn. No, it's a combination. It's got a... Uh, so this is only purple corn. Um, I have done stuff with blue corn, too. But uh, so the fruit, uh, the fruity flavor is going to come from the corn itself. Um, they do use it to make like a, an alcoholic and non-alcoholic version of chicha. Um, but I also did use uh, a lot of hops. So that did it, too. <laughs> kind of non-traditional. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So it's just a, a fun beer. So, so what yeast did you use? This one you cultured yourself? No, no. This is actually a lager yeast. Oh, really? I wanted to see what it's like doing like a kind of pre, pre-prohibition lager, but, you know, with purple corn. And then also with hops, because I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Garrett lived in Texas before he moved down to Chile. Mm -hmm. You can kind of tell by his accent. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> the way you say y'all. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with the word y'all. And all y'all is an even better word. Yeah. Redundant but beautiful. As oh, yeah. an English teacher, I love it. Hey, no, no. So it's not redundant. Y'all 
is too deferring. All y'all is more than that. That's, yeah. that's the way I always learn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. So, right. so what do y'all think about this beer? No, no. <laughs> what do all y'all think about this beer? Okay. <laughs> yeah? Right, so, I mean, very interesting. And so really just corn and and mm. and some hops and some larger yeast. Well, no, no, this is a, it, it's 27% corn. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, your, your pills are malt, but really the, mm-hmm. the primary character piece that's unusual to it is the, is the corn. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, where do you think you want to take this, or is this, or is this what you want it to be? Uh, I might reduce it down to twenty percent uh, on the corn. Uh, purple corn can lend a, I don't know, it's got a little, kind of like a little bite at the end, and I know it's from it's from that corn. For just the skins and, and the antithesis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a blue corn that unfortunately I can't find it anymore in Santiago, but that one had a, a much smoother, even fruitier flavor. But uh, so I would use that one, but I couldn't get it. So well, well gotta you gotta use searching. what you got. Yeah, cool. yeah. All right. Well, and uh, do we have an, uh, the, another one, right? Yes. Yes. Which one, Garrett? Um, the other growler. Yeah, yeah. So this is also with a corn. Um, it's another. It's called chulpi corn. It's uh, a yellow corn with red tips. Um, and this is just like a pre-prohibition lager recipe, also with a, a lager yeast. All right. <laughs> this it, one looks more like what you'd expect. Yeah. <laughs> now, this, this one seems almost plain, but it's still, so now what's, what's special about this corn? Um, you said yellow with red tips, with the flavor one. Flavor-wise, it's more of just a pretty standard corn flavor. Um, it's just more of a just a regular old old corn. Oh, I mean, and yeah, I mean, this tastes like you know classic uh, classic American pills. You know that that uh, you know adjunct lager. Get some for Denny. Well, thank you. But I mean, food. And here you go, guys. Let's uh, let's dig in on some of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, but so it, for how many of you is this the first beer from Chile you've ever had? Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, th- this one. Oh, made, that's I mean, really tasty. Yeah, it's clean, it's crisp. Yes. The corn does come through, and I mean, it tastes like uh, it tastes uh, like a little bit like masa, or you know, a little bit of that corn flour, as opposed to just sweet corn. So I mean, uh, now is is the corn sweet corn, or is it more of a, a closer to a field? Yeah, more of like a field corn. Right. Uh, actually, the first time I did an experiment with this one, like over a year ago, when I opened the fermenter, it smelled like corn tortillas. And me being from South Texas, that it smelled like home, so it was really <laughs> oh, unexpected. Man. Like, look, it smells wonderful and warm. But I mean, yeah, this has, again, the, to me, to my taste, it has a earthier corn flavor to it, which is the reason why I was thinking it was field corn, not mm-hmm. sweet corn. I've had so many sweet corn things where, you're, where you almost end up being like, yeah, where it's it's a little too sweet, and this has that sort of, yeah, that tortilla edge to it, mm-hmm. uh, that that masa harina type thing. Oh, neat. Oh, thank you. Okay, so we have one more here. What's this one, Garrett? Um, this, this one's sealed in funny ways. Yeah, international travel. Got to make sure it doesn't open. <laughs> <laughs> I think okay. that one. Could I see the number on that one? One fifteen. Oh yeah, that's so that's the purple corn, but with a with an ale yeast. If you right. want to try it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so. I have to ask, how, how do you bring homebrew across international borders? Uh, very carefully. Yeah, very carefully. Bubble wrapped. 
basically. <laughs> Lots of bubble wrap, Ziploc bags, and uh, you got to smile at the TSA agents. They, I got selected for a random select, uh, a random screening, and my entire suitcase was full of beer and mead. So the guy was like, "What are you doing with all this?" I was like, "Oh, I'm going to HomebrewCon." He's like, "Oh, oh, nice. That's cool." So, just, just got to be nice to them, and they won't care. Well, I mean, the, the funny part for me, I remember after 9-11 happened, you remember all the the random air, airport searches, you know, dudes walking around with M-16s and all that. Very mm. weird. They always had the random, you know, hey, we're going to pull you out of line and inspect it. I was rocking a much cooler beer at the time. It was much darker. And I got randomly pulled out of every flight for a year after 9-11 for random inspections. I'm like, I don't think that's random. <laughs> like I'm like the palest dude in the universe but I just had a big dark black beard and suddenly that made me suspicious <laughs> profiling so, alright now you said this one that we got coming through here this is the this is the, the, the chicha beer again but with an ale yeast as opposed to the lock it's with an ale yeast and also a dry hop and I used a Argentine Cascade for this one ah the, oh, the infamous Argentine Cascades <laughs> Uh, a few years ago, when there was a hop shortage, Argentine Cascades started being imported into this country. And it was the first lesson we had in how terroir affects hops. Because they were nothing at all like any kind of Cascade that I had ever seen before. Yeah. So, yeah, so for this one, it's interesting. I don't get that big, prominent red berry type thing I was getting in the lager version. I get softer, but I still get that rounder, sweeter ale thing. Right, it doesn't feel as dry and crisp, but it's also not punching that red berry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but it's still it's still coming through, and I also get a little bit more earthiness. Yeah, that's the Argentine Cascade. <laughs> I, I was there last year, and I got to try a lot of uh, single hop beers and all the different things they're doing with their uh, their special varieties, unique varieties of hops, and everything with terroir going on. It really changes, mm-hmm. uh, like Bouillon and Victoria and some other stuff, uh, Mapuche. Um, there's more, but, uh, but yeah, the Argentine Cascade is really earthy, kind of like, uh, an English hop. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's almost like Denny's favorite. Puggles. <laughs> oh yeah. No way. Count me in. Gary Glass and I have started a Fuggle Haters Club. Can I join? Uh, you, you can become a charter member. <laughs> right. So, uh, Fuggles Haters United Club. Fook. Yeah. There, there we go. I like that one. <laughs> Fook? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fook you. <laughs> well, hey, Garrett, thank you so much, man. I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to come and share some beers with us. Of course. There, oh, there is need... another one, though. Oh, is there? Oh. I do have one. I think it's still in the cooler that it's uh, it's with one of my wild yeasts, if y'all want to try it. Oh, sure. Well, we have to try the wild yeast. What's it look like? Yeah. I'll go get it. Uh, it's more of like a bomber. It's, okay. a, it's a taller one. Okay. I hope right. it's there. <laughs> so uh, while Denny is uh, uh, running around being beer steward, uh, does anybody have any questions? That, you know, particularly you know, ask Garrett a question about either mead making or you know, homebrewing down in South America, or you know, the realities of uh, being a Texan living in South America. Yeah. <laughs> questions, questions, questions. So how did you get going in South America? Like how did I get there? Uh, an exchange program originally. Yeah, just. Stayed for different reasons, different times. So now it's been seven years. So, well, and yeah. you're married uh, down there and starting. That's the last reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> the, the most important. The, the wife doesn't want to come up to to Texas. Uh, nah, maybe in the future, uh, a small temporary thing. All right. 
run into any legal issues brewing homebrewing in South America? Did you run into any legal issues homebrewing in South America? Uh, they don't really enforce laws in Chile, period. Uh, <laughs> especially not traffic laws, but um, but no, it's not, it's not a big deal. It really isn't. Um, no, no one no one knows much of what's going on. It's more of just kind of like, oh, you make beer, that's cool. Whenever that comes up with, with like customs and things. So, yeah. Well, I was going to ask, uh, ingredient-wise, I know we talked about it on the podcast before, but ingredients are always challenging, it seems like, for a lot of people. It's, um, it, it's, it's really neat. We got Patagonia malts in Chile, so um, I, I buy straight from them most of the time. Uh, it's really cheap, and it's really good malt. Um, so that always makes my beers different, I feel, because I'm, I'm just using the good, cheap stuff. <laughs> All right, one last question. Did you conduct a cereal match? Yeah, yeah, I did uh, in, in both of those beers. So, um, yeah, like for, I guess, like 20 minutes or so. It, um, don't hate me, Celsius, 69 degrees. Uh, <laughs> and then boiled it for about 30, 35 minutes. And then I added it to the main mash. So Cool. Well, I'll tell you what, man. You want to go look for those beers and we'll talk yeah. to these YCH guys who just wandered up while you're gone. Yeah, and yeah. Now, and yeah, so now we're gonna we're gonna talk to some hops. So thank you, Garrett. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. We'll see you in a minute. I hope with a growler. I hope so. I'm gonna go look. Yeah. And and don't forget, guys, we still have some more of Garrett's uh, beer up here if you want to take a taste. You know, kind of nice interactive reason to stay watching the podcast. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their 8th generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add Whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. YCH Hops is a grower-owned global hop company located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family hop farms with the world's finest brewers. YCH Hops is thrilled about the release of their newest product, Cryo Hops, to both commercial and home brewers, providing intense hop flavor and aroma, reduced vegetal flavors, and increased yield. Visit YCHHops.com to find a homebrew retail store near you. So we have uh, Brian Pierce and Nick Ziegler from YCH Hops coming up because we are big fans of their hops, especially the new stuff like uh, the Cryo Hops and the American Nobles. 
put on those headphones, guys, and get right up on those microphones close. Yep. So uh, let's start with uh, what you guys do for YCH. Brian, what's your position? Uh, so I'm the director of North American Sales. Right. Uh, so I work with a lot of uh, craft breweries all through the United States and Canada. And Nick, how about you? I'm the technical solutions director, so I uh, get to do all the fun stuff. So <laughs> science and get to work with all the growers and just uh, provide technical solutions to brewers. It's great. Cool, man. And just for those of you out there, I know that we have a few listeners who used to be on uh, Tasty Brew, the Tasty Brew Forum. Nick uh, was one of the old-time members there, where uh, kind of where we met originally. Yep, that was it. It was back in early 2000s, I think, and it would have been. Yeah, I, I guess so, man. Yeah, that would be about right. So. So tell us, I mean, obviously the cryo hops and the American nobles are the hot thing from YCH. A lot of people don't really understand what those are, so why don't you guys run that down? All right, so um, I kind of covered it in my talk this morning, but the, the whole principle of it is is that there are two major fractions in the hop, and if you want to sort of separate it out, you can get the lupulin-rich fraction, which is all the oils, all the alpha, all the beta, and then the other side of it is the, the bract fraction. That's sort of the, the, the petioles and the leaf that, are, that, are, that stay behind. So um, if you fraction the, fractionate that out, you break it apart, you end up with two different characters from the same hop. All the rich, crazy, uh, lupulin-derived stuff, so the, the, uh, the citrusy, fruity, um, the big, bold flavors that we associate with, like some of the big resinous American varieties, that's all going to be in the cryo side. And then the noble is going to provide the peppery, woody sort of traditional European varieties or aromatics. What's kind of cool is that we found that a lot of the characters that had you know, typically been ascribed to the, uh, the, the oil fractions are actually resident in the brack. Mm -hmm. um, and so both of these products are produced on the same line. Um, they are run under, under nitrogen the entire time, so they're, they're really, really kept um, anoxic. And really, we really built these two products to protect the flavor. It was originally designed to solely protect the lupulin, but we ended up protecting a lot of the flavor in the uh, uh, in the bract as well, and sort of the net effect of this is that we're fractionating the hop out into various sections or fractions that you can use and mix and match as you like. So you say take uh, one lot of citra, we've run it through our cryo process, and now we have two products, and you can combine those in different ways to achieve a different, um, the di sort of different aspects of it. So you can focus in on more of the resinous aspect or focus in more on the uh, on sort of the, uh, the the woody sort of spicy character. And so you can fine-tune your beers a lot better with them. Well, you know, and this probably shows what an idiot I am, but I never thought about using them both in the same beer. <laughs> that's what's fun. The, the other side of it is that if you use the, you can use the cryo, so the cryo is basically double the concentration of T90. And the way, the way I like to talk about it is if you take, you know, say, treat your hops as a T90 dose. So you got 100 grams of T90. If you want to replace that wholly with cryo, divide that by two. Put 50 grams of, 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 of cryo in there, and you're going to get the same amount of resins and oils in there. If you want to um, sort of recreate a beer, now, so I guess that, in that case, that, that actually works really well for the sort of the lower hop charges, like American Pale Ale sort of beer. That's going to give you a, a really good match, and you're not going to tell the difference. And your guys' work with your Igors, which, by the way, yeah. best name for experimenters ever. That is freaking hilarious. <laughs> um, uh, I giggle every time. Um, oh, no, when, when we thought of that name, Denny and I were kicking things around, I said Igor. Yeah. We, we, we were like, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's totally it. Yeah. Definitely. It's one of those like, bing, you know, nope, that is the name. Um, <laughs> so with the, uh, with the, the Noble, so at the lower, at the lower hop churches, like you guys showed, uh, we, our, our data showed exactly the same thing. And a lot of our brewers who have been contributing to, to, you know, information on the products said the same things. That at lower levels, one for one, or I guess a one for two substitution. So, you know, one unit of cryo equals two, two units of T90 at about two and a half barrels or below, or two and a half pounds, pounds per barrel or below. 
But if you start getting to the higher levels, you start to see that difference creep up there. Is that, and it's, it's, it is a difference. It's not a, na a negative thing, but it's like, so if you're doing like a three, four, five, some people do eight pounds per barrel dry hops, uh, which is ridiculous. I mean, I, sh I mean, please, no, please dry hop your beer. <laughs> didn't really <laughs> <mean> <laughs> that. No, yeah. Right on. Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Um, it's actually, uh, it, it becomes more apparent because it's so clean and you get so much of these really beautiful aromatics, but you're missing a lot of that hop rasp that is, a, that is associated with the, the sort of the astringency and the polyphenols in there. So you end up with uh, with a much cleaner beer. It's actually it can be great. It makes it taste like fruit juice. Uh, but sometimes people are like, "Oh, that's not hoppy enough." I'm like, "Dude, are you kidding me?" Um, <laughs> so uh, if you blend, back blend it with about 25% T90. So again, taking that 100 100% units. So you take 25% of that T90. So 25 grams, for example, and 75% of the rest should be cryo. So that becomes 37.5 grams. Make sense? Kind of. Carry the one. Cross over the two. 75% divided by two. So remember, okay. we're always talking as T90. Right, right. right. The alternative is when you asked, Danny, you said earlier about you being able to use Noble, yeah. that becomes an 85-15 split. So 15 grams of Noble and 42.5 grams of Cryo. Okay. okay. So you're ending up with only about 60 to 65% of the original hop matter that you would have done in your, in right. your fermenter. So you get way more beer out of it. Right. And that's, that's one of the real advantages. Well, I mean, to me, the real advantage of the cryo is I just love the big, fresh oh, yeah. character you get. But the fact that they are not in there soaking up your beer and you get more of your beer back out of the fermenter. You know? And this actually, it, it, if, you have, if you're lucky enough to have conicals, um, it shows up much more in conical fermenters than in, than in the uh, sort of uh, carboys or, or buckets because you got a lot more surface area in the bottom of your bucket or carboy. Mm -hmm. So it settles out pretty flat. You're, and you're only losing about a mill or two of beer. Whereas in a conical, they absorb a lot and they swell up in that cone, and so you actually get your racking arm a lot, a lot higher above the above that sort of little hop base there. So right now, you just have like a few varieties available. Yeah, we, so we've got uh, let's see here. So um, we have Laurel, Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic, Palisade, Atana, or not Atana, I'm sorry, Amarillo occasionally, Equinot, and we got seven. I don't know what you. <laughs> I think I think it's right up. I think it's it right up seven. Cascades. Cascades. Yeah. Cascades. Cascades. Yep. Well, and I know that, like a lot of people. Obviously, a lot of people are excited about the cryo product because, yeah, more hot. More. Yeah. Right. And everybody in America loves to step on the gas. Uh, but I was. I'm. I've been really super stoked about the the noble side, the debittered leaf uh, piece, because, to me, I think cryo is the thing where you get an extension of what everybody's doing. Right. You know, like it's just that more factor. The American nobles. They give you something completely different. It's a whole other tool. Yeah, so that's what's really cool about it. So the, basically, the American Noble is, um, so what we found is that all the, um, the, you call them the oxygenated species, mm -hmm. oxygenated species of the terpenes, and, that's, and, those, and a lot of those things reside in that bract. And so you end up with the spicy, woody, grassy, herbaceous, traditional character um, that are associated with, with European Noble varieties. Using them at low levels, and you can get, you know, it's like, boom, it's a sub for, an Amer for a European variety that you, you can't really get here anymore. It's a little bit hard to get, and they're not very sustainable because they come from way far away. Um, and then the other side of it is that you can use them at a high, slightly higher levels because they do retain a little bit of that oil, those, those oil character from the original original hop. And since they're processed so carefully uh, under, under liquid nitrogen and, 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 and an anoxic environment and really cold, they retain that really, really well. You get those into your beer, and so at higher levels, if you taste the beer we got on right now, we've got, a, we've got the uh, Noble beer that we used a ton of Noble hops in the, in the hot side, and then dry hopped it with Noble, and then also took that same base beer, dry hopped it with Cryo, and then dry hopped it with T90. So you can see really the difference between all three of them. Um, and you actually do get this pretty expressive sort of pineapple-y, sort of generic tropical fruit character coming through from the Nobles that we use. We did Laurel, Mosaic, and Simcoe? Simcoe. Yeah. 
Uh, and um, that, that really does come through in the beer, but then we were dry hopping it, I would call irresponsible quantities, just to really show <laughs> you guys what the difference is between them. Um, it's almost like they're, they don't cost you anything. Mm, yes. Uh, there's a cost. Yeah. There is, I mean, there's an opportunity cost, and there's also yeah. a blood, sweat, and tears, and curses, and trying yeah, to get that many hops out of a fermenter cost. Um, but the thing is, is that it, it really does give you this. Uh, the way the way I look at it, I'm trying to describe it is it's giving you more paints to paint with, or taking out, you know, breaking up purple into red and blue, yeah. or you know, breaking up the rainbow until you get all of the, the different spectra, so you can really fine tune your, your products. It's really fun. Well, and I know uh, tonight at uh, club night, I'm going to have three beers on that use the American Nobles. Oh, good. Gonna have, and all three of the recipes are actually available at the YCH booth. Uh, the American Kiss Mild, which <laughs> had used the debittered uh, Simcoe, mm-hmm. and my sort of base standard uh, English Mild recipe. Uh, my I Dream of Stan Laurel, uh, Cream Ale, using the Laurel debittered, and then Laurel Canyon Saison, which also uses the debittered uh, Laurel. Cool. It, because I, it, what I really wanted in all three of those beers was, can I get that subtle... American hit without the sort of the big obnoxious slap you in the face oh. you know, American thing. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with the concept of a subtle American. <laughs> <laughs> being, being one, I can say that. Uh, no, the, um, the 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 whole thing though is what's interesting is that. Well, I mean, what did you think? What did you did you did you? Uh, I, I I I really dig them. There's, it's interesting. There's a, a also a polyphenol. Uh, oh yeah, you know that that I didn't initially expect. So polyphenols like tannins, hop tannins, right? And that that will give a that will give a flavor impact, and I found that in both the cream ale and the saison. But they're it's not they're not a bad thing. It's just it was like oh, I I didn't expect to get that. Yeah, and it's 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 a little different, and that's and, and being able to see what fractions of the hop contribute what flavors to me has been really cool. I'm like whoa, okay, so that's where that aspect comes from. Yeah. I thought that was in the oil, but that pepperiness that you know rounds out the mango character in mosaic or citra, that's from the leaf. Yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. Um, and so that's again, that, Denny, that's why we, you would use both products. Right, and sure. you, can, you can fine tune it. It's like, I want a little bit more pepperiness. I don't want quite as much dank. I want, you know, all that stuff. You, you can tweak it. Um, well, I got a lot of brewing to do when I get home. The other <laughs> thing you, gotta, you guys got to try, please experiment with this, is that I, so I mentioned it earlier, it was uh, the, the real, one of the cool benefits that I got really excited about when I joined was like, because I'm really big into my sours and I know I work for a hop company, but I found a way to get fresh, non old ass hops into <laughs> wild and co fermented beers. So nice. they've got low alpha, they got low beta, but they still have the oil fraction, and they still got those characters. So they don't smell like cheese and feet, so you don't have to bother <laughs> aging your hops anymore. You can use these, and you still get that citrus stuff. And what's really cool, I talk about biotransformation, and I'll go into that later at some point, but uh, the cool aspect of it is that you know, we know bacteria, and we know Britannomyces, and we know Pickia, and we know um, our PDO. Um, they do actually take these compounds in and train, change them. Most sac species, I'm pretty sure they don't. But if you give them those compounds that are coming from these hops at a level that's not going to kill them, because you can't just you can't just add cryo to, to, to a lambic. That, that's going to kill everybody. Uh, <laughs> but if you, you can do it with a debitter leaf, and they're still going to get them, and they're going to turn them into some really interesting things. So we're, we're working with some cool breweries to, to do some experiments on this. So I highly encourage homebrewers to start making some co-fermented wild pitches or, you know, like the complex stuff with Noble, and you get some really interesting effects. Wow, that's really amazing, man. So uh, what's on the horizon for YCH? Where are you going next? World domination. No. <laughs> um, um, we're, I mean, really, we are investing heavily, heavily, heavily in our research programs um, and new production. 
Uh, there's some stuff I can't tell you yeah. because it's cool. Sure. But uh, we got a ton of experimentals coming out, and um, you know, Hop and Brew School is coming up August yeah, yeah, 27th yeah. I'm and 30th. Looking forward to it. Uh, it's a blast, and we're really just trying to to, to really interact with our par brewing partners a lot more frequently. So uh, pro brewers and home brewers, you know, we like we like beer and we like brewers is what we do. So, what well, any can you give any hints to any new uh, flavor uh, flavors that we might be expecting? Oh God, yeah, pina colada, tropical punch. So Hawaiian punch, um, oh plumeria, bourbon barrel aged hop flavor. Whoa! Uh, what's another? Oh, the good one, Snickerdoodles. Yeah, Snickerdoodles. You got. You know You don't. You know how to yeah, this, this one, my favorite in the testing so far. Yeah, it tastes <laughs> like Snickerdoodles. It's weird. Oh so man, that's I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Sugar cookies. Chicken, cinnamon sugar cookies with a touch of vanilla and a little bit of bourbon background. It's really cool. Whoa. Okay, that's a hop I want. Okay, to try. sample, that's... sample. <laughs> oh yeah, come on out, dude. Oh, hey, do you guys, do you guys get a chance to try Sabro yet? I have uh, not. Uh, uh, no, I don't think I so have. So it's HBC 438. It was, I think it was first released to home brewers a couple of years ago. Carl is, this is our, our CEO, his pet project for, for years. Right. And, he, and a lot of brewers love it, but it's, it's one of those, so it's, it's got a Neo-Mexicanus uh, right. hop in the background. So it's, and there's this very specific character that seems to accompany all Neo-Mexicanus hops. It's very strongly carried over. It's a, something in the genes that just, the hops like it. And it, at high levels, it throws this kind of crazy coconut dill character. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so yeah, Sriracha yeah. Ace kind of has it, yeah. so we suspect Sriracha's got some of this. So, But at it, it really high levels. Um, but at low levels, it expresses as coconut and pineapple and pina colada. It's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, always pineapple to me. Yeah, it's pineapple, yeah, it's... and there's a little bit of bite to it. Now, the thing about Sabro is that it's really, really expressive. So using it at, uh, if you're using it in a regular hot bill, I typically say, you know, 5 to 15% of your hot bill should be that. Any more than that, it is going to completely overwhelm the beer, which is not a bad thing. It's really good. At really low levels, though, it's, it's one of those lifter hops. It just kicks things up a notch, and it gives this a uh, real, it really accentuates lime character with a little bit of, of this pina colada thing. Wow. Yeah, and you said that was HPC 438? Yep. That okay. used to have a different name, yeah. Right. Okay, so I think, actually, that might be, I, I got a core from you guys, and I think the 438 was one of them. Yep. And I think that's actually in my hazy to the core. I got to go double right. check, because it's uh, coconut and woody yep. and... And then a yeah. lot, and then a lot of weird tropical stuff in the background. Yep, yep. 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 That, that's so that's four thirty. So hazy to the core at the Maltos Falcons booth tonight. Oh, score. Cool. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for making all those cool hop products too. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to uh, going to Hop and Brew School this year. I just love it. It's a wonderful experience. Are you sold out yet? Do you still have uh, room for more? Uh, registration is still open, so okay, people so, are going. So if, uh, 27th through 30th of August, right? Yep. Yes. So yep. if you're free in late August, go to the YCH Hops website and sign up for Hop and Brew School. It's two days of uh, seminars about hops, visit to hop processing plants, uh, visit to hop farmers and see the whole thing in action. Lots it, of late nights at the sports center. Yeah, lots of late we, nights at the sports center, the coolest dive bar in the world. We got two new breweries in the area too. So, uh, oh, really? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man, I have some friends who've already signed up to come. And uh, they've made me promise that we'll go out to Bale Breaker while we're there. Well, we got Bale Breaker, we got Varietal, we got Valley Bruin, we got Single Hill. Uh, we've wow. got... They all sound like hop-related things. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Figure. In the middle of hop country, there you are. Yeah, no, nobody's got, like, the grain and malt, malt paddle. I don't know why. <laughs> well, well, somebody's going to do it for counter-programming at some point. But, yeah, there you go. So, hey, guys, don't forget, while you're here at the conference, at the Expo Center, you can stop by the YCH booth. You can pick up uh, free samples. Lots of, of free samples and uh, lots of beer. Both the Cryo and the American Noble, along with the regular T90s. 
Uh, you know, I think what it's like one variety per day. On get a little stamp packy thing on your on your badge or something weird. Yeah, right, so you can come get what you want. Yeah, we're just like guys. Come on, get some hops. There you go. But if you take more than 100 packs at a time, they'll cut your hand off. Yeah, but don't forget, we also have the recipe cards for Denny's American Mild, My American Kiss, the I Dream of Stan Laurel, and Laurel Canyon Saison's also available. So if you just want a little guidance about some thoughts about how to use them, there you go. All right. All thanks right, a bunch, guys. Awesome. Thanks for having us, guys. Bet you, man. Savor some of Yeast's exclusive Belgian strains with the Belgische Zomer private collection this summer. Back by popular demand, the Forbidden Fruit, Trappist-style blend, and the Canadian-Belgian ale strains encompass the entire spectrum of yeast properties and are distinguished by their coveted ester and phenolic profiles. Take advantage of these strains to brew a full range of Belgian styles, from traditional everyday drinking to the bigger and more complex. The versatility of this collection is perfect for savoring all summer long. These strains are available July through September. September at your local homebrew shop. Find out more about which styles pair best with these strains at yeastlab.com. Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, it's time to replace that old dog-eared copy because our friends at Brewers Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor or buy it from the Brewers Association store if you want to get the book and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at BrewersPublications.com. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. We have our good buddies, Kyle and Angela Hove from Brewing America. And while they're sliding in here, I'll tell you a little bit about them. Uh, I was in need of a new hydrometer a while back, and I'm looking around on Facebook, and suddenly uh, an ad pops up for Brewing America, and it says that they have these test jars that only take four ounces. And it's like, wow, that's half the amount of beer that I'm using to take samples with. <laughs> that alone is going to make it worth it. So I ordered one. And it's just a brilliant piece of equipment. They have them packaged well. And uh, I mentioned that I was really looking for a hydrometer with a built-in thermometer. And what do you know? They made me one. 
And now you guys can get them too. The thermal hydrometers, they are really, really cool. So uh, get right up there on those microphones, guys. Hello, Kyle and Angela. Great to have you here. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, hi. And one of the other things we really like about them is that they are a small family business. They're both veterans and they live out in Eastern Oregon. And that's the kind of people that we love to support. So uh, don't break it. <laughs> so how did you guys decide to start doing this? I broke one. <laughs> that's how it started. Essentially, I broke a favorite one and it broke in the sink in the middle of the night. And I hear, gosh darn it. And I hear, are you okay? <laughs> I'm fine, you know, and so I ordered a whole bunch of them and they all were not what I wanted. Right. And so I, I went on this great, this great quest of ours to manufacture a better one. And this is our uh, next generation here. Wow. It's, it's great, man. And what I really love is like your packaging and all of the hydrometer kits come with a cleaning brush for the tube and a, a nice little cloth to wipe off the hydrometer. Uh, they, are, they are really, really hip. And, uh, and let me tell you that Kyle and Angela are great on customer service because uh, right after I got mine, I emailed them, got an instant reply. We started a great dialogue. And, you know, we're really, really happy to have them as sponsors on the show. Then. So what, what else are you guys working on? We have a new triple scale that's coming out. Yeah. And it's going to be pro series. So you'll see in this one, it's, it's stronger material. Right. The neck is reinforced. The base is reinforced. And it's overall, you can visually see your reading much better than a color band design. And I had a hard time reading them. I, right. mean, I was taking my cell phone, taking a picture of it, bringing it back, <laughs> blowing it up. I think it's this. And this is what we came up with. Yeah, here, pass that around to you guys and take a look at it. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, again, being the cheap sort of homebrewers that we are and hating the waste, <laughs> the fact that the, the test tube jar here only takes four ounces is a real big bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah no kidding. And, I mean, it's, it's, everything you make is so heavy-duty and, and well-made. Yeah. You know, that's what really impresses me is the, the quality of them. Uh, I have three refractometers, and they all stay in the drawers because neither one agrees with each other right. or, or with my hydrometer. You know, and these things are just dead accurate. I think I tested them and, and really, really well made. So if people want to buy some of your stuff, how do they do that? Well, we have our website, brewingamerica.com. Right. You can also find us on Amazon. Okay, cool. Great. And, and you make a, a hydrometer for distilling also? We do. We recently released our distilling kit. Cool. So again, same uh, for silicate glass jar. Right. And uh, proof and trail hydrometer. Right. Zero to 200. Yep. <laughs> so if you, if for instance, you have one of these uh, grandfather still attachments or the brew and mash still attachment or the pico still, and you needed to test the fuel alcohol that you were making uh, here in the U.S., yeah. <laughs> uh, then you'd be able to actually measure just exactly how efficient your process is. Or it could be used in mixology as well. Like, for instance, if you want to blend a fruit or anything, you want to know how much sugar you're adding to your vodka. Oh, wow. And there's, there's other uses that are very helpful. There we yeah. go. We get into the barrel aging, and you get some of that yeah. dissipation. Right. Um, that you is, can recheck that it after so barrel cool. aging. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yep, thank, thank you for you. having See us. you later. Thank you. All right, I think it's time for a, a brief break. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break here, <laughs> and when we come back, we're going to have Jeremy Jalbert, the Oregon Homebrew of the Year. We're going to have some guys from Brewcraft telling you what's going on with their stuff and all kinds of other fun stuff, so stick around.
Are you a fan of chocolate, but not of the mess that comes from using cacao nibs? Chalaka is your answer. A favorite of Tim Matthews at Oscar Blues, it contains only cacao and water. Chalaka is aseptically packaged, so you don't have to worry about any bugs coming along uninvited. Using only sustainably sourced cacao, every bottle of Chalaka you buy helps regrow the rainforests of Ecuador and Peru. Ask for Chalaka wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. And we have with us right now, Mr. Jeremy Jalibert, the 2017 Oregon State Home Brewer of the Year, and a general all-around nice guy. Congratulations, buddy. Thank you. Uh, so, how many competitions did it take to do that? You know, I haven't even, I kind of lost count. I think it was maybe like eight, I don't know. There's a whole sequence of uh, competitions that they sanctioned specifically for it. Yeah? So, I just put in everything, so I lost count. <laughs> So what kind of beers did you brew for these? Well, it started off with Scottish Light, which was um, kept to your guys' book, the recipe from Nathan Smith, kicked off last year for me, and uh, that got the best of show at KLCC and made me think that I might be able to sprint through the year. Um, and then I decided to go all in and just made everything I could possibly make and split batches and went kind of wild with it and just put everything in. It was a long, difficult year with lots of losses and a couple wins. <laughs> And, you know, one of the reasons that, uh, that we wanted to talk to you is because you did this by simplifying your brewing, right? Definitely. So you went from what to what? So I've gone through a bunch of different setups. I had um, multiple kegels and plate chillers and pumps and all kinds of complicated, you know, cables and wires. And it took my brew day was about nine hours to make wow. about 10 gallons. And then through reading your guys' books and, and getting inspired from friends in our club, um, realizing I could simplify. So the first thing I did was go no um, no sparge and right. start just doing full volume and do some brew in a bag. And then I realized my pump was kind of my enemy and started trying going backwards in time. And, and now I've got my brew day down to about three hours and 45 minutes for 10 gallons. Wow, that's Wait. remarkable. Okay, so for three hours and 45 minutes, how do you do that for 10 gallons? So I go full volume mash. So I got a 20 gallon mash ton and I'll just fill it all the way to the brim. So I've kind of, I just, Ignored like water to grist ratio, everything just all the way to the brim. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll get my mash temperature and then hold it for maybe 30 or 40 minutes, mm -hmm. run it off to my kettle, and then I'll start. I'll do first wort hopping and I'll also start heating up when, when the wort's transferring over. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing that manually, so I'm transferring into a little bucket and dumping it over. Right. Um, and then, you know, stuff starts boiling, and then I got a jaded chiller. So I got, I got rid of my plate chiller and bought a jaded chiller. That's now I do 10 minutes down to you know yeah. pitching temperature so right. it's going fast aren't those amazing man it, it's i went over there and gave those guys high fives and said, <laughs> thanks for because if you took the hour it was taking me to do chilling through a plate chiller and pump and cleaning and add that across hopefully a lifetime brewing they those guys giving me life back <laughs> so I'm they, they've given at least another hour of beer drinking during yeah the day. yeah that, and that's what i discovered too man is that those chillers are so effective 
that they chill as fast and you save all that cleaning yeah. hookup time. I just hose it off. So cleanup is now, you know, two minutes. Yeah, right. I, I know, man. So, so three hours and 45 minutes for 10 gallons of award-winning beer. <laughs> Not always award-winning. No. <laughs> I know how yeah. that goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything that you feel like you can't do with that three-hour, 45-minute process? I think, well, I can't, I can't really step mash very well. Mm-hmm. Now that I got rid of a pump, I'm not recirculating anymore. Um, and I was, when I had a pump, I was able to do the, the Vorloff better. So that, that's kind of something I miss. Um, yeah. And Do you find that that is something that made a difference in your beer, though? It seemed like it, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, right. I think, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to maybe add in some time back because I think I might be going a little too fast, honestly. Right. I don't know. Like I don't. I don't have time to measure pH anymore. I just skip that. I just use brewing water to calculate pH, and I'm assuming I'm in the ballpark. So I think there's things I could try to bring back in. But um, another friend of mine, Jake, is doing a lot of fast brewing too. Right. And he's having amazing results. So I may just keep pushing forward with brewing fast and see what happens. Yeah. Right. You know, um, I, I find like with brewing water, for instance, that uh, after measuring my pH a lot of times, after calculating with the program, that there's I just don't even bother anymore because it, it's always what it tells me it's going to be. Right. Yeah. Science and math. It works. <laughs> That's right. So what's your favorite recipe to brew? I think it would be the, the beer that got the second best of show, which was for Sasquatch last year. Oh, yeah. It was the Glen Falconer tribute beer. Right. And it's basically a, it's a non-BJCP style beer that was designed as a beer that he would have liked. Right. And um, so essentially it's like a strong ale combined with a red ale combined with kind of a red IPA. It's a hybrid right. kind of beer. Right. So they give you the specifications and ranges and you brew it to that style. You know, I, I wrote those specifications. Oh, really? I'll see yeah. it. <laughs> nice. So that, I mean, of all the beers I made and, you know, all the wins and losses, that was my favorite because I spent a lot of time talking to people in our club about Glenn. I didn't know Glenn. Yeah. But, um, first you know, time I ever judged was with them and it was yeah. really great. Yeah. And he had such a deep impact in Eugene and on the brewing community. And I could see that from the people who knew him. So I spent a lot of time talking to people about him trying to understand what the beer would be like. Right. And that's the first actual beer um, in all my brewing, which I started in 2014, that I designed the recipe, I executed it the way that I wanted, and it had a deeper meaning for me, you know, cool, as a tribute man. beer. So that was the one that was nice. And that was actually cool, too, because that was the one that got me enough points to win. So right. up to that point, I had one at the very beginning of the year, and then a couple of first places and a bunch of losses, and I thought, there's no way. The algorithm's in, it's not in my favor <laughs> to win. But then I had that, and then, yeah. So you're going to try and do it again next year? Hell no. <laughs> so now, now that you're not brewing to, to try and win the Oregon Homebrew of the Year, what do you think you're going to brew to have for yourself? It, that's the best part now is that I, I've gotten up my techniques down that I can basically brew what I want. So I'm going back to brewing. I brewed a stout for the first time in forever and um, just trying to figure out why I got into brewing. Right. Outside of competing, so I kind of I kind of joke with my friends that last year it was kind of like a Gollum, you know, from Lord of the Rings, and the ring was this win, and I I kind of got a little obsessed. And um, wait, hold on, a beer person getting obsessed? Yeah. Imagine that, that would you? Never yeah. happen. <laughs> I think what I'm going to try to do now is have more fun. And it wasn't that I was obsessed with winning; I was obsessed with actually making better and better beer. Right. And winning is fun, you know, but. Um, I think now I want to get back to the soul well, of my you own get, brewing. you get to brew for yourself now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I get sent like a lot of equipment and, and products to test. So I feel like I'm always like cranking out test batches as opposed to brewing a beer right. that, that I really want to have. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I know exactly what you mean, man. 
And I've been focusing on trying to get back into the community side of it. Right. So, you know, I, I dreamed of being a professional brewer for a while, and then I realized, you know, it's probably not going to happen for me. And so if I... Because you've got a good job. Yeah, I've got a good job. <laughs> and, uh, but I think that what I want to do is figure out how to do other things with amateur brewing. Pro, you know, between pro brewing and home brewing, there's got to be a lot of other things. So trying to do collaborations with other home brewers, collaborations with breweries. But I'm most interested in trying to, and it's what Charlie P talked about yesterday about diversity and inclusion. I'm trying to figure out a way to bring my garage, open it up for more people to come in and learn. Right. So I think people get scared to learn, and, mm -hmm. and especially now that I've simplified my brewing process, basically anybody can come in and replicate it on a, on a stovetop right. and feel okay with brewing a bag. You know, they can do exactly what I'm doing. So I'm, that's my mission now is to get more people kind of become an evangelist for homebrewing, spread it out there, and without, actually without, you know, very much ego too, just trying to say, let's do this, have fun, sure. and, you know. Yeah. Well, once again, coming back to that uh, reoccurring theme of uh, simplification. Gee, I'm so glad somebody has finally written a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, thank you so much Thanks. for being with us today. Yeah. Congratulations again, bud, Thanks. and enjoy brewing for yourself. Thanks. Well, you know, the only thing that would have been better is if you brought beer for us to actually taste. Tonight. Tonight booth. That's right. Cas which, Cascade yeah. Brewers Society tonight. You can try some of Jeremy's beer. And which beers do you have on? For just tonight? got one. I got an experimental corn beer with boysenberry, which was kind of interesting. And then actually in the... Oh, uh, the, <laughs> there's going to be a beer, uh, the Brulosophy's beer, I think at three... I can't give you the variables. Science. Top uh, secret. Oh, top but, secret. But, but that beer will be on, so... Cool, man. Yeah. Well, thanks a bunch, buddy. Yeah. Cool. Talk to you later. <laughs> okay, I think we're going to have some guys from Texas on here now and get weird. <laughs> Thanks. We're, we're, uh, we're going to Texas, and we're going to be talking taco beer. There we are. All right. Well, hey, so why don't you introduce yourself to the, to the folks? What, what, what do you guys do? Okay, well, uh, I uh, actually own uh, Texas Brewing Incorporated. We're a, a large uh, homebrew store there in uh, Texas, and we also have a large uh, e-commerce website. So check that out at txbrewing.com. And then uh, we also do something similar to what you guys do, is uh, we do a, a bi-weekly podcast. And uh, it's quite amazing that uh, we, we have a huge following. And I don't understand why, because all we do is sit around and talk about beer and drink beer. But uh, <laughs> some people find that fascinating for some reason or another. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, how many, how many people out there find that the, one of the best things in the world to do is to sit around and drink beer and talk about beer? <laughs> there you go. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's a, it's but, a, uh, a warm crowd that way. Yeah, so we've been doing it for about three years. Our podcast is called uh, Come and Brew It Radio. I think we have 130 plus episodes out there. So uh, it's, a, it's amazing how fast they build up, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, you know what's funny is is there's part of it. There's part of us that we uh, think that we're running out of stuff to talk about. But and then it never fails that we uh, find something new uh, somehow or another. So, uh, but uh, we thought you guys would be interested in this little experiment that we did. This this one is actually our second batch. I don't actually much care for it as much as the first batch. But uh, well, it's pretty close uh, to being what the original was, though. Right? Yeah, pretty close. But I think there's a little more to, uh, of a one spice in it than than what there was. But All right, uh, and, and the new voice that just popped up on the uh, on the mics. Hi, folks. I'm Greg. I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, and so, guys, what exactly, what exactly do we have here? All right. So, one of the fun things is we we have a we actually have a big one of the highest rated taco stands in, in Dallas Fort Worth is actually down the street from us. Wait, hold on. Tacos it, in Dallas? Yeah, tacos in, in, Texas? in Fort Worth. Yeah. Right? <laughs> there's, so there's no such thing as tacos in Texas. Right. 
And so one of the, we were eating some tacos one day and we were, uh, we were at the shop and we we're like, hey, you know, let's make a taco inspired beer. So um, we, everybody thinks gross, whatever, but uh, um, this one's a little different than what, than what, I think it has a little bit too much of one spice that I'm not real f fond of, but uh, uh, so we kind of we kind of went at it. This is we go okay. Well, what should what should we use as a base mm -hmm. uh, for this beer? And one of the things that I thought would be nice would be like a wit beer. Originally, we were going to call it a Belgian taco stand, but uh, we kind of went away from that because we thought the phenols from the the, the yeast. wit yeast would be too much. So, but we still like the idea of maybe having a little more body in in the beer. So we went with uh, just a kind of a uh, a. Uh, you know, a base beer of, uh, of wit beer, right? right? And then we said, well, how can we capture some of these spices? So uh, we actually left the coriander in it because we thought that would be kind of the, um, you know, the citrusy character. But instead of a orange peel, we used lime peel. Naturally. And uh, we actually put a little salt in there. Mm -hmm. We also used uh, some, uh, a small portion of mesquite smoke malt okay. just to kind of give it a little bit of you know, smoky character. And then we also, uh, uh, what else? So we use a little bit of, uh, uh, what, what were the chilies ancho, that we use? Ancho pepper, right? Ancho chilies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we, cumin. And then some cumin, yeah. Oh and, my God. Yeah. <laughs> the cumin is what stands out yeah. the most. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, that's, the, the first one that we did, I think, I think was, a, was a little more refreshing than this one here. Uh, but we ended up having to add extra cumin to the first one. Right. So Did you dry cumin? Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah, and, and then we added extra to this one, and we just hadn't quite found the quite right right level for it. But the first one was pretty awesome because it uh, it was really citrusy and refreshing. Yeah, and yeah, you the just had it. Yeah, it was nice. Cumin, but. You know, you hear these words "refreshing taco beer" and you try that's to make true. sense of them. <laughs> yeah, try some. Wait, of you have what a we cup have it, around I mean. here? Extra cup? Uh, we seem to be cupless. Oh, okay. That's cool. Oh, but, you know, you can always just drink out of the bottle. Yeah, just Texas. drink. Yeah, drink. Oh, I forgot. It's not even bottle conditions. So. Oh, there we go. Yeah. There we go. We got a spare cup coming up. Yeah, this was uh, what came up in a keg. One of the guys in the shop, the other developer of the recipe, had made this at home, and he always felt like it wanted more cumin in it for a pop. Uh, we all feel that it needs a little less cumin, you know, so. Well, I mean, the, the cumin really gives it the taco character. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Man. And that's what we thought was a, it's, you know, that spiced meat sort of thing is like, that's totally what nails that down. Well, yeah. and to me, like, okay, I, I think tacos, uh, obviously, you know, corn, tor corn tortillas, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, the, the chilies, the, the cumin, a little bit of coriander, some salt, some pepper, and, you know, a little bit of heat. I like the touch of the mesquite because I do think the mesquite is actually giving it's that impression, that, that, that meatiness. Right, right. right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. Like in terms of like what I would expect, like yeah, I think the cumin's a little too, too yeah, little it too is. much. It is, and 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 the first time we it wasn't enough, so we kind of overdid it in this second time around. But the first time I thought it was absolutely fantastic. But we had to kind of dose up the keg, I guess you would say, oh, yeah. and it's hard to go from that to transitioning it to putting it in the right. boil. So. Um, well, the kit itself is actually more tame as far as the cumin goes. Yeah, uh, every time that we've made that, and it's been made a lot recently, it's it. Uh, I think more people find it back to that refreshing, more citrus forward. Uh, the cumin's obviously there; it's just not quite as dominant nice. as this yeah, one. Dom this one's dominant. Yeah, we wanted to brew it again before we came, but uh, we didn't actually have the time. So. <laughs>
Well, you know, you guys uh, had asked us if we wanted to try making our version of it too, and uh, we just didn't have time to do it either. And I can I can tell you, mine would not have been like this. I was actually I was trying to think of a Northwest version, and that immediately sent me to fish tacos. Yeah, yeah. salmon taco. Yeah, and I'm kind of going, okay, how do you make a fish taco beer? Yeah. The answer is don't. I don't know. We made a clam chowder saison. Don't remind me. See, for me, I, when, when we started talking about this, the first thing is, I forget which co- brewing company has it, but there is the Taco Hands IPA. Okay. Uh, that's, that is out of, I think, New England area. But uh, but my my case would have been, I either would have gone cream ale to get the corn. Okay. Yeah. Or the other shockers, I would have done a Saison. No. <laughs> really? A Taco Saison. A Taco Saison. Come on. Right. It's an awesome idea. Yeah, but... Uh, I thought it was just kind of fun and interesting, and, and uh, that's kind of we, why we pitched it to you guys because we thought it would be kind of a fun thing to kind of see you what you come that up we're with. Crazy ass enough to yes, do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I've had I had the saison, the clam chowder saison, and it right. worked. So I was ready to see what y'all might throw down too. You, you know, what's funny is is it, this is a this is one of those beers. It's a love or hate thing too. Huh. Because some people are like, oh, gross. And then some people go, oh, my God, this is amazing. So, no, like I said, clam cheddar stays on the same reaction. People are like, you put clams in a beer? Yeah, well, and I would say that this is very much like the clam cheddar stays on. And it's a successful experiment that I probably won't be sitting on my deck pounding this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, well, I'd be perfectly happy with it. Well, you know, it, it's funny. It, it, like I said, the first time we did it, we really got more of the lime peel, the, the orange from the coriander, uh, the citrusy notes, and you didn't get as much of the cumin. So it was kind of a it was kind of a different uh, situation this go around. So, so now let me ask you: when you're not uh, when you're not screwing around making you know taco beer, right? <laughs> you know, what do you what do you guys normally do on the podcast? Uh, we do lots of recipe development. We think that, yeah. that people really enjoy that. We talk a lot about uh, you know. Oh, I think experimentation. I think experimentation. We do a lot of stuff kind of similar to what you guys, but not quite as in depth. But um, I think one of the things that I guess for me as a home brewer, uh, growing, you know, in my home brewing journey, I guess would be I only got to brew so often, you know, so I really didn't have chance to really do all the experimentation that I wanted to do. I, when I had a chance to brew, I, you know, I didn't want to experiment. Yeah. I wanted a proven beer. Right. I knew, you know, that I knew was good. So um, there were so many things that I wanted to do. So I, when we kind of started doing this, this the Come and Brew It Radio, we kind of really we thought that this was a good opportunity for us to be able to do some experimentation and not have to worry about, you know, results. R- r- <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we we've been able to come up with some neat stuff, and uh, but yeah. uh, we probably brewed over a hundred gallons of experiments so far and that's within the last few months i mean yeah uh, just since we really started doing a lot more of it yeah i mean we we recently did an experiment with uh you know the omega strains yeah. mm-hmm. and we, we did one saison and, and we did uh, i think four different um four different batches same work mm-hmm. right and then we just we just took these buckets and just stuck these uh just poured the omega different bread blends mm-hmm. and put them in different uh, uh fermenters and just kind of forgot about them you know <laughs> room temperature for i think what was it two or three months greg about three months yeah and uh then we bottled those up and man wow it was amazing so and you get to kind of get the differences and we talk a little bit about the difference you get from those different strains so that way when somebody comes in they go oh well they did this they were getting this from this particular strain right but i may try that one 
next time. Why do I smell tax write-off? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we do some of that too. So it's employee education. Yes, exactly. So uh, if, if people want to catch your podcast, how do they do it? Uh, you can do it on uh, on uh, iTunes, right. Stitcher, uh, Come and Brew it Radio. We also broadcast live on on YouTube. Facebook, YouTube. YouTube uh, uh, we 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 typically broadcast to Texas Brewing Inc. as well. Uh, is our Come and Brew It radio page. Yeah, it's, so. it's easy to find us through our Facebook page. Yeah, we, we'd love to have people interact with us live because it's fun to oh, yeah. you know uh, bring questions and stuff that w- that we ordinarily may not get to get to. And sometimes we forget as being ve- uh, you know veteran brewers that some of the, the we may be talking some lingo that some of the 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 more beginning brewers don't understand. So it's kind of nice to be able to have people come in and interact with us and and ask questions. So uh, that's really kind of why we started doing the live version, but. Uh, a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, cool, awesome. man. Every other week. So you got any, any other plans for crazy-ass beer? You know, <laughs> yeah, there's a um, line up you, right we, now. we do. Uh, <laughs> and we've, got, we've got one of, one of our brewers in our, uh, that works at the shop. He, uh, he is con- uh, you know, constantly doing like um, Skittles, candy beers. Gummy bears. Gummy bear beers. Uh, um, um, and, uh, you know, he does a really good job at it. I, they're, not, they're not really a big, big uh, thing for me, but, uh, you know... It, I always like, always find fascinating to take one thing, you know, and say, let's go. Okay, let's let's take inspiration from a pizza, and let's make. <laughs> what are the spices that are in a pizza, you know, or or something like that, you know, and let's make a pizza beer. Or, you know, we we just try to do different things, and and, and sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's you know, it's a, uh, you know, yeah. flower food, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's a hobby. No, actually, the, I always find the best thing to do with uh, with a leftover beer, shall we say. Is to soak beans for chili. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. That works yep. great. It works great. Cool. All right, guys. <laughs> well, hey, All right. Hey, one last question before we go. Since okay. you guys are in the homebrew shop, uh-huh. what trends are you noticing right now amongst homebrewers? Uh, New England IPAs. <laughs> Lots of New England IPAs. Yeah. Well, you know, you and know what's crazy is I, I want you all to note I didn't say a word. <laughs> you know what's 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 amazing to me. I guess I've been doing this for a long time, and and it's always you know uh, the biggest strain. Uh, 1056, um, you know, and, uh, you know, USO5 and mm-hmm. WLP001. And what about that YE1450? F- oh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's somebody I know, I think. Yeah, uh, what's yeah his name? I know. <laughs> but London L3 used to always go bad. Not anymore. It never, ever, we never, ever, ever sold that strain. It always went bad. Which is a shame because it's a great And now strain. get this. We sell more of that than 1056. Wow. <laughs> so in Texas, they're making New England IPA. Like mad. We have a brewery down the street from the shop. Uh, it's called... Uh, Turning Point. Turning Point. And uh, they have a little 10-barrel brew house, and that's, that's, that's all they make. And they wow. sell out every single week, 1850 four-packs. There yep. you go. And then do all on site. Sometimes I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> yeah, really. Thanks a lot, guys, for hey, coming. Hey, thank on. you guys for having us on, man. We really appreciate you it. Know, thanks. thanks for the taco beer. I will say to you the same thing that Mike Tonsmeyer said to us about the clam chowder saison. <laughs> if I had to make a taco beer, this is how I'd do it. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Thanks, thanks a lot, guys. guys. All right. Thank you, Stubby. Thank you, Greg. We will see you guys around. Yeah, let's go. Okay. All right, we're going to get a couple of our Igors up here now. Oh, we have three. All right. We have Rich Westmoreland. We have 
Jim Shover, and we have Eric Pierce. And we're going to be talking about one of the experiments that we ran that these guys uh, brewed for us, a fast lager fermentation experiment. It's uh, kind of become all the rage these days, (laughs) and a lot of people don't believe you can do it, but you really can, and it works great. I uh, Just before I came here, I thought I needed to crank out a batch. I didn't have much time. I made a German Pilsner. It fermented out in four days. I ran it up to uh, to 65 for a day, down to 33 for uh, three days. And 10 days after I brewed this beer, I had a delicious ready-to-drink German pills. So, yeah, it can be done. It does not take months to do. Right. So just to set the background, if you weren't paying attention to the earlier parts of the episodes where we talked about this experiment... Lager is, of course, the big moneymaker for a lot of the big breweries, and the biggest thing that costs them it costs them money is the amount of time that loggers take to make. You know, that time in tank is time that you cannot sell the beer. It's time when, well, guess what? There's no money coming in. So for years, people have been trying to figure out better and different ways to go and make a lager faster while still retaining quality. And one of the big ones was from a German writer by the name of Arzitz, who has set up a whole fast fermentation schedule, and that's been picked up by the guys over at Brewlosophy. It's been picked up by Mike McDowell, a couple of other folks uh, sitting out there, and we decided let's give it the Igor treatment and see exactly how well it works. Now, it, it, Tim and Rich, you guys actually did this experiment. Eric, you're sitting in just to offer color commentary. Yeah. And we got beer from you coming <laughs> up in a moment. But the whole idea was, okay, we made a simple Hellas recipe, right? a pretty brain-dead recipe, basically just some Pilsner malt, a little bit of hops, and a Weichstephan-type yeast, right? Now, what did yes. you guys uh, do for your brews? Um, so I'm on a, uh, I'm Richard from Houston. So I'm on a robo-brew system, kind of similar to the Grainfather. And um, so I just brewed the simple Hellas recipe, Pilsner malts, and what was the other one? Uh, it was a little uh, caramel. Just a little caramel. Yeah, very simple. Um, brewed, split batches of that, let uh, one start fermenting for about a 36-day process, and then Halfway through, for, uh, brewed the other one, and then uh, started that one. So it was a two-week process versus a little over a month process. And then had uh, friends come over and taste it and uh, perform the test and got some interesting results. Right, and so the whole idea, again, was that basically, you know, start one batch, let that go, start doing a traditional lager schedule, do a second batch, and do this one where you start cold, and then over the course of the week, you raise up the temperature and then crash down to lock. Yes. And we had a very specific uh, spelled out uh, formula for it. It's in the, the podcast notes. And what were your results? Uh, my results were it was uh, insignificant. So I had about uh, seven tasters total. And uh, I had about 57%. Um, yeah, you had be, four. You had four be able to identify that it was... Um, the the different beer the different beer right so right. they could I- identify the odd man out do you Correct. remember was it the was it the fast lager or the traditional lager that was the odd man out I don't remember <laughs> and Tim what about you so <clears throat> my process was similar I started the warm fermented beer um, a week ahead of the cold fermented beer and um, so first three days I kept it at fifty degrees. And then I took a gravity reading. Thing was pretty much like 75% done. So I just moved it to ambient temp mm-hmm. and started climbing. 
Um, I let it go another two weeks just to finish out. And meanwhile, uh, during that time, the cold fermented beer was at 50 degrees the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then two days diacetyl rest at room temperatures, maybe like 65 degrees. And um, uh, I did lager both of them for an extended period of time just because of when I was going to do the tasting. Mm -hmm. Ended up being six weeks later. So they both did get a six-week lagering period. Um, we had 14 tasters at uh, Homebrew, uh, my homebrew club, and only one identified the uh, cold fermented beer versus the two samples of the warm fermented beer. See, and to me, that, uh, that makes, you know, we were joking earlier about being outliers and whatnot. It, I mean, you're not an outlier in the sense of, hey, you know, your results aren't lining up with everybody else. But that one out of 14 seems very uh, unusual. Yeah, well, the, the one actually had picked a different beer at first, uh, crossed out that answer, and then wrote in the other answer. So... So even then, that so I'm saying out of the 14, I think there's extremely low confidence in being able to pick apart um, the beer that was fermented cold for three weeks versus the beer that was fermented cold for three days. Now, did did you did you try uh, did you try the beers yourself blind? Could you tell the difference? So the first time I tried them blind, I could tell the difference, but I think they were at different temperatures in the glasses or in the cups. Um, and then I tried them. I had somebody just do it to me at home, at the homebrew club when we were doing the, the uh, triangle test, and I I couldn't figure it out. And, and Rich, what about you? I I know that in your notes you were saying that you felt you thought you could. In my notes, I could. Um, so just and also I knew the variable. Um, I knew right. which beer was not which beer was which in my triangle test, but I could kind of tell there was a difference. And um, even though I could tell a difference, I had really no preference. So I can understand why. You know, if, uh, if if the large commercial breweries want to go with this this route, um, I I couldn't I had no preference. So if I were to if I were to try to tell the difference in in a commercial setting, I, I honestly just wouldn't care. Well, and so overall, we had six different trials being run by uh, by six different e-boards uh, on this fast logger experiment. Of the six trials, five of them fell below the line of significance. So and and a bunch of them fell really below the line of difference where it really, the results were random choice. So to me, you know, we had you know, Rich, we had Eric, we had uh, uh, Nicholas Tier, Tim here, and Dave Matson all get insignificant results. And uh, Brian Mills is the, one who, the only one who got a significant results where he had, out of 12 tasters, he had eight successfully identified the different beer. Um, That's always a bit interesting, isn't it? Yeah, but to me, what that tells me is that, yeah, looking at this, doing like this Narzis, this modified Narzis fermentation schedule, to the average taster, they're not going to know the difference between a traditionally fermented lager or a fast fermented lager. So here's the big money question. Now that you guys have gone through this, would you do this if you wanted to make your own lager? The if fast fermented? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yep. How about you, Tim? If I was short on time, yeah. But you, but you <laughs> st- but only if you're short on time. You still you still feel like you want to do the traditional water schedule? Um, at least more than three days, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe you'll modify the modified Narzis. Yeah, and, exactly. And go just a little bit longer. 
now, I did it once. You did it once? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do the experiment, but I did the uh, the short schedule once, and the beer came out horrible. Oh, the beer came out horrible. <clears throat> but it had nothing to do with the technique. It had to do with bad yeast health. I'm convinced. Well, as we say or, repeatedly, yeah. <laughs> as we say repeatedly on the podcast, good yeast health will let you get away with murder. Yeah. So, yeah. but and by the way, that's Eric, Eric Pierce speaking <laughs> on the end, who just uh, popped into the into the mic. Uh, but so, were any of you surprised by this result? Uh, no, not on, not really. Um, I mean, this is a study that's been going on for a while, and uh, I think results in the past have proved insignificant. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think it's a great way. I mean, me personally, my process, I'm going to brew, and it's just going to sit in mm-hmm. the chamber for 30 days anyway. But if I was in a time crunch, I would have no problem with uh, fermenting it cold for three days. And I have to admit that the results kind of confirm what I had thought from doing it, too, you know. So... Uh, maybe my palate is blown, or <laughs> who knows? Well, maybe your palate's dead, but it seems fairly clear to me that fast lager fermentation works like a charm. Yep, that's right. So if you guys have been holding off on doing lagers because uh, you just don't have the time or the equipment to do it, rest assured you can do a lager fast and at higher temperatures, and you will still be making a great beer. How yeah. should you have a question, or you just agree? <laughs> the question is, should I wear pants on brew day? Uh, you know, uh, given that you're in Tampa, no. Pants would be detrimental. <laughs> and uh, I have a reputation His legs for once almost hairy. setting my pants no. on fire while I was brewing. <laughs> well, so guys, any, before we walk away from the, the lager results here, any other thoughts that you have? Anything that you want to share? Um, I'm curious if we tested different yeast strains, mm-hmm. if someone had more impact yeah, based on the temperature control. Well, and, and do you remember which uh, which particular yeast strain that you, that you used? It was one of the white strains, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, I used 3470 okay. for this okay. experiment. Okay, yeah, I used uh, 830, WLP 830. Right. So uh, both white uh, yeah. uh, strains, and, and that yeast is pretty close to bulletproof. Right. I've, I've done it with 838 as well, same kind same of results. results. Yeah. Well, is, is that the same as 3470? Yes. Oh, 30, yeah. Wait a minute, 3470 or 3740? No, just 3470. 3470, yeah. yeah sorry. No, because that's what I did to attempt to rescue my bad yeast health beer. It, it shot off like a rocket, but it was I think it was too late. It was already messed up. A side note, you could ferment 3470 at like 65. Oh, also. yeah, that's great. Just get rid of the sulfur. <laughs> yeah, I've been reading more and more people saying, oh, you know, look, you can do whatever you want with that yeast strain. It just pretty much just wants to ferment. Yeah. So, well, good. Uh so, again, uh, just to summarize the results, if you want to do the fast lager methodology, we'll have it up on the website. We have the recipe for the Simple Hellas. But it definitely seems, at least with the uh, Weistafon-type strains, if you want to do a fast lager where you produce a lager in 10 days, you're good. You got it solid. You don't have to worry. No more of this, uh, you know, listening to the Germans and, and uh, even Budweiser who say, we take 45 minutes to make our beer, or 45 months to make our beer. <laughs> you know? So it, it, by all means, get your lager on. It's the perfect time of year. Get them in the fridge just for a couple of days, and you're pretty solid. I Actually, if you're aggressive with ice and ice management, you could probably even do this in a water bath if you're in, in, in just a, an air-conditioned place. You know, just a couple of days of a hell of a lot of ice in your, in your water bath, and you're good to go. All right, any other thoughts, guys? 
I just say relax. Don't worry, I have a homebrew. So there we yeah. go. Second that. <laughs> All right, so don't use Bud, uh, old Bud Bar yeast, and uh, you know, get that beer cold just for a little bit, and you're good to go. All right, thank you guys. I appreciate you hanging out and and, and talking results. I, I I really hope that we can get some more uh, equal results coming up here. I think this is always fun when we have you guys on. Thank you so awesome. Much. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. If any of you guys out there would like to sign up to be an Igor and run some experiments for us, go to experimentalbrew.com, fill out the Igor sign-up form, and we'll get you brewing some interesting things. The taco beer? Taco beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got it more. Sounds good. <laughs> Loving the taco beer. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. All right, Eric, did, did you have beer that you wanted? I do. I have I have more of the uh, uh, T90 Cryo uh test oh i've got enough for like 12 i can run 12 people ah. <laughs> well, can, can we just run a little quick tasting panel right here yeah we could we could i mean you want to do like uh you want to do just like hedonistic side by okay so a while back we ran a test uh comparing a beer using t90 pellets to the same beer using the same varieties of hops as cryo hops like our guests from ych were talking about earlier uh Eric has some of that beer left from that experiment, and if you guys would like to come up and try both of them and see which one you like better, we'd love to hear what you think. I have a, look what I got, up. one of these new, newfangled openers here. The, oh, oh, yes, nice. one of the Pico Brew opener rings. I got a Pico Brew opener. This, this one's a Jaded. Oh, is it really? Oh, okay. Wow. Patiently awaiting my Pico Z2. Oh, man, me I too. Wait. I know, I know. So, should we just say... Uh, guess which one is which, or just which yeah. one do you like better? Yeah, a mouthful of tacos. So that's that's the the one with there's one with the uh, the elastic and one without. Okay. So the the question is, do you like the beer with the rubber band or the beer without the rubber band? <laughs> and you might note clarity too. You find that's interesting. Just just grab yourself a taste so we can pass. This is without the rubber band. Because the rubber band wasn't actually in the beer right. when it was brewed, <laughs> just on the bottle. One would hope. Got some extra glasses. So this is. Yep. Although I have cake to beer, but yeah. It really hurts. Extra lid gasket down. All right. Here, let me get uh, let me get some of that uh, that beer in here. So should I just like reveal what it is, or do that after? No, no, no let's, let's wait a minute. Okay. Let's wait a minute and just do the, uh, do these side by side. Uh, make sure everybody remember which beer you put where. I got some multiple cups too. If anybody wants to do an actual side I could use a cup. Hand me, yeah, hand me that beer. I'll, I'll hand you that beer the second I. Uh, oh. Oh. Uh oh. And it was me. Uh oh. Rich is oh. cut off. This one. Let me go. Uh, no, the cups. other one. Okay. So rubber band. Rubber band band. For those of you listening out there, you're missing uh, all the visuals, which are really good. <laughs> you know, we've had spilled beer. We had uh, bottles with rubber bands on them. And now, of course, I'm, the only thing I can think of is uh, the Spinner song, Rubber Band Man. This is why we edit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let, let's, uh, let's taste these. Uh, I got the... I need, I need the non-rubber band. All right. Continue the non-rubber band, please. I got to do, okay. do the rubber band. So... And Eric, which uh, uh, which of the uh, recipes was this one? Was this the oh, the APA? The APA. Okay. So uh, I, this was our standard American Pale Ale. We have three 
uh, is sort yeah. of standard, uh, an APA, an IPA, and a double IPA. <coughs> and this was the APA done with Cryo or T90. So, and again, the, the experiment was, we did this at the sort of YCH recommended ratio, which you heard uh, talking about earlier in the conference or in, in the show, where it's substitute half the amount of cryo for a full charge of your T90s. And the idea should be that it's relatively unnoticeable, right? It's a one. It's sort of a, a, a straight swap. Right. And so, so, so theoretically, these beers should be remarkably similar in a lot of ways, but different in that the cryo hop should be cleaner. Uh, but so let's let's have a show of hands now. Who liked the rubber band better? Okay. Who liked the beer without the rubber band better? <laughs> Okay, uh, okay. Oh, I did. I'm rubber band man. <laughs> okay. All right, Eric. How about a reveal? Rubber band is cryo. Not rubber band is uh, T90. Yeah. Wow. All right. Interesting. It's oh. and 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 the T90 over time has really it dropped it dropped amazingly clear. You know There's what? A slight haze difference. And, yeah. But you know what? I can I can taste a slight old quality. It, yeah, it's coming. It's it, coming. You know, in, in the hops and. I think maybe that's why I preferred it because it's more like what I'm used to. Oh. Whereas the cryo beer was a lot cleaner. I saw that picture of your flavor. freezer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, I got, I got, I got to taste that again. So, all right. Yeah, go ahead, man. So, uh, Eric, remind me again. Rubber band is cryo. Yeah. All right. So, rubber band cryo, non-rubber band T90. How many hop additions are in this recipe? Three. Yeah, I think yeah, two. Yeah. Yeah, let's see. There was one a bittering one, yep. and then uh, I think there were there were there were was I don't remember one or two. I did it exactly. Well, no, how the no, rest no, of no there, there were there was bittering. Yep. There oh, was flavor. Yep. And then there was uh, there was the and then there was dry hop. And dry hop was done after fermentation was complete. Right. And the substitution was at every step. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was it, it bittered with the same charge of the exact same hop. Right. Those were all T90s. The cryos was all focused on the whirlpool and the dry hop. Gotcha. So that's really interesting to me because, I yeah, I mean, they are pretty damn close. Oh, did did we have the choice of uh, of, of bittering, or we used the we used the same hop throughout? Uh, yeah, everybody used the same yeah. bittering hop. Yeah. Mm. That's right. There was, uh, I'm trying to remember. There was the Citra and Centennial. Yeah, the rubber band is T90. You know, I'm I'm amazing. I have to have it in front of me. I know, (laughs) man. The same thing. This is the first time I've ever done the recipe exactly to the T. I never (laughs) do that. I never do that. (laughs) Yeah, the aroma. Complicating it. Rubber band beer has a lot more diacetyl. Yes, that's interesting. That's 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 a good point. Well, and that and that's the thing that I think people are finding also with the brewed IPAs, where it turns out. uh, both things with a hot matter, we're adding an amylase to the uh, to the secondary or mm. into the keg. You know, doing that extra conversion in the keg, and then allowing the yeast that's left to pick it up where they don't have enough glycogen to actually clean up the diastole they produce. We're getting a lot of the brood IPAs, for instance, that have a lot of diastole for that reason. So I wonder if some of that might not be from the extensive dry hopping on the beer as well. Yeah, who knows? So. I think that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how, uh, you think a paper bag is interesting? <laughs> as long as there's hops in it. Yeah, right. As long as it has beer in it. All right. So again, uh, just a show of hands. How many people now that you now that you know about this? How many people preferred the beer with the T90 pellets? 
right? Uh, so that was the non-rubber band. Yeah. How many people preferred the rubber band? Oh. Man. Okay, so we have a clear preference for the cryo beer. <laughs> there we go. Even a couple months down the road after brewing. So. Well, this is it. I'm blending the two uh, kegs. I need to free up the kegs. There you go, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thank you so thank much. You. It's always a joy to get together with our Igors and talk about the experience. And I can't tell you guys how much we appreciate what you do so we don't have to. And again, if you want to join the Igors and help us with some of these experiments, you can email us at igor at experimentalbrew.com. That's I-G-O-R at experimentalbrew.com. All right, guys. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. Thank Ciao. you. Okay, so our next guest, you probably remember from a few years back, our good buddy Nico, used to sell hops. And now he's in the other side of the brewing business. Good to see you guys. You good too, to you. buddy. What you been up to? Oh, nothing much. Uh, just hanging out at this beer conference. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for a little while now, I've been supplying uh, commercial breweries with equipment. It's like three barrels on up, fermenters, bright tanks, kegs. Uh, unit tanks uh, and uh, full brew systems. Wow! Yeah. wow. So anybody who's looking to get into the into the game or expand their game, hit me up, please. <laughs> All right. now, so, what, what, so of course we always think of you as Nico Hops, but or Nico Brew. But what's the new company's name? Jupiter Brew. Jupiter Brew. I like that. <laughs> I like that. So JupiterBrew.com just shoots you to our Facebook page. I honestly haven't had time to set up our website. Right. <laughs> but you can go on there and see equipment that we've already supplied some breweries with. Been kind of keeping it fairly quiet, kind of word of mouth. I uh, just want to come out here, though, and talk to you guys about it. So what? Uh, how, you went from being you know, uh, a hop supplier and went up. How would you move into the equipment subject? That is an interesting question, um, but, but I enjoy it. So part of it wasn't great because um, I don't know if you've followed what's happened. I was working, opening up a brewery and uh, went through a negative experience with the company. Uh, that I had uh, entrusted with funds and um, and time and energy to help open up my brewery. Through that process, uh, see that, uh, in my opinion, they fully took advantage of the situation um, and basically ripped us off for a significant sum. Uh, went through some legal battles, um, and it's just where it's at now. It's Nico Brew shut down, no longer supplying hops. But through that process, I ended up making some really good contacts um, and meeting some good people, some good engineers that can do installations, um, fabricators and have worked through those relationships and found that there is still a need. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there, of course, you get your equipment from, but there's obviously a lot of people out there opening breweries and uh, being able to supply quality equipment at really good prices and good support um, is something that's still being successful. And it's been fun to be able to be into. So, so do I don't you build this stuff in your garage? I do. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> No, um, just like most of the manufacturers, um, I have fabrication partners in China for some of my equipment. I have a fabrication partner in Michigan that builds control panels. Basically, whoever makes the best product at a price that makes sense for everybody. I'm not cheaping out on anything. Um, that's what I'm trying to do and help people because it's really difficult. And it was for me to say, okay, where is quality equipment? How do I get that? How do I get the best price? How do I know I'm not being taken advantage of, but at the same time, you know, spending what I should be spending because... It's worth, there's no uh, good price for the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the old rule, right? You know, you can cheap out on your tools, but expect to keep paying for more new tools at the cheap price. Yeah, so, exactly. Now, what, what services do you offer to somebody who's like, you know, let's say we have a couple of uh, fresh-faced uh, homebrewers out here who feel like they want to live the dream 
I want to leave the nine to five life and go live the six o'clock in the morning to midnight life of being a brewer. You have, when you said living the dream, I wasn't sure what you're talking about. <laughs> then you finished that up and then, made, then I said, okay. Um, you know, uh, it depends a bit on your plans. Um, basically, I, I'm happy to talk to anybody about what you're actually looking to do. I, I want to be part of products that are going to be successful and help people be successful. I didn't have experience operating a brewery. I, uh, like I said, I trusted folks that didn't work out with. And I want to be able to provide some good guidance that I know that I still haven't operated a brewery before. I'm not an expert on all those aspects, but I know the people that are and mm-hmm. align them together to make sure that somebody gets a full, real picture of what they're looking at. Um, and if it makes sense, uh, working together to help that, help that happen. Great. So, what's, the, what's the smallest brewery that you've put together for somebody? Um, so the smallest brewery, so I have two brew systems on order right now. Uh, uh, quite a uh, 10 barrel, 20 barrel, 30 barrel fermenters and bright tanks that are out there in use right now. But as far as brew houses, uh, 20 barrel brew house and a 10 barrel brew house we have in the works right now. But we'll go as, low, as small as three mm-hmm. um, right now and uh, and on up really to as much as you want. Anything that we need customized. And I've got a great engineer that helps make sure that your goals are met. And that we actually, I actually had him on a Facebook video chat with the brewery actually in Nampa, Idaho, that's going to be opening up. Um, uh, shortly here that we're getting a temporal system to had him on Facebook video chat walking through the space having the owners of the brewery tell them what they're planning on doing and just describing it a bit and him actually providing guidance okay this makes sense this way you might want to look at this over here that's a good idea but let's figure this out over here like trying to do the whole thing and make sure that you're not just left and here's a box of things and we hope you know how to use it and he'll actually come out and do uh, the installation as well with your contractors very nice wow well, man, best of luck to you, and thank you so much for being here today Thanks, with guys. us to tell everybody about it. Thanks for letting us have fun. Again, jupiterbrew.com. Hit us up. Hit, All right, hit, man. Hit go up. Live the dream. Get your own brew system. <laughs> That's right, man. If you need brewing equipment for the big time, Nico is your man. So thanks a bunch, bud. Thanks, fellas. Love you guys. Okay, we're going to have some of our friends from Brewcraft USA sliding in here next to talk about what's up with them and some of the new products they've got. Uh, we have Colin. Hey, Colin. How's it going? Good, man. Get Put on some headphones, get up right close to those mics. And we have Chris Manley from Brew Jacket, and we're going to have you describe uh, what, what that is, because a lot of you might know, but Drew and I both started using the Brew Jacket recently, and absolutely love it. So, Colin, uh, what's new and cool at Brewcraft? Well, uh, first and foremost, my dad is here. We flew him out, and he sat in y'all's talk yesterday, and he told me that it's been the highlight of his trip, and he he told me I had to tell you that as he's in another seminar right now. Tell Uh, your dad that we love him. All right, cool. (laughs) And and ask for the address where we can send the truck. Uh, well, you know, uh, we've kind of been showcasing our Genesis fermenter. Oh, I love the Genesis. Uh, man. I do too. I've got about four of them at my house. Um, it's a six and a half gallon hard plastic HTPE fermenter uh, with a really cool disposable sanitized liner on the inside, right. which is great for people like me because I'm about as lazy as they come. But you don't have to use it. You right do there. not have to use it. Wait, have you, have you met him? No. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we found that it's really great because uh, you can transfer in between those sanitized liners if you want to. They're super disposable. And even better, if you're at home making wine as well, it turns the whole thing um, into a variable capacity because you can just sit the air out of there and you're done. It fits a blow-off tube as well, which is good. 
I uh, pitched way too much yeast once, and uh, <laughs> it was spewing all over my bathroom. My wife was not pleased. <laughs> I, I, had, I had my cream ale, which will be on tonight, in my Genesis, uh, in the fridge doing the lagering process. And even then, it was still so active that the yeast was spewing out of the top of the, the Genesis. It was like, I just kept spraying off the top, getting rid of the yeast. One yeah. of the things that I really like about the Genesis is the handles oh, on yeah. it, man. As, as somebody who isn't real physically fit, I have a hard time lifting stuff. And those handles are perfectly positioned and sized to make that thing easy to lift. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I really like about them is they're molded in. Yeah, right. Uh, they're not going to come off of there. Yeah, because I have had experiences with ones that are not molded in. And we wound up snapping the handles off on too big a batch. So, oh, man. You know, the entire thing is six and a half gallons. And it really does make a six and a half gallon batch easy to move. And it's a little bit slimmer in shape, so it's easy to stack uh, right next to each other. And then also vertically if you've got the shelf space. Right, right, right. And then one of the other things you started carrying recently is the brew jacket. Yeah, uh, so we have actually uh, Chris Manley, who's the product manager for Brew Jacket here. So I think Chris uh, can probably talk a lot better about it than I can. So Chris, why don't you just describe what the Brew Jacket system is for people who haven't seen it? Uh, Brew Jacket is a heating and cooling system um, consisting of an aluminum rod uh, submersed in your vessel, uh, Peltier, and a fan to disperse the heat. Uh, we offer a few different models in our carboy jacket that we have here. Uh, tested at 75 degrees ambient, we're able to achieve 35 degrees above or below. Uh, that jacket also fits a few other fermenters, uh, Big Mouth Bubbler, Fast Ferment, uh, five gallon buckets. Right, that's what um, I use. Yeah, we sent you one. Yep. Uh, you guys are happy using it. Oh man, I just, I absolutely love it. Uh, my garage has been varying these days from 45 to 85 degrees. And no matter what, the brew jacket is keeping the beer within half a degree of the temperature that I set it at. Yeah. And that's and like 65 for ales and 55 for lagers. And, and for me, I live in Southern California. My garage uh, has been varying between a low of 70 degrees and a high of about 105. And it's been doing actually a really great job of pulling those temperatures down to even just reasonable ale temperatures. Now, of course, when it's the summertime, I'm usually fermenting Belgians and Saisons. Right. So it, for me, it's absolutely perfect because even then with that 30, 35 degree differential, even on the hottest days, I'm still in that good Belgian range. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we do offer some other jackets for other styles of vessels, uh, conicals. In those configurations, just by design, uh, we're achieving about 20 to 25 degrees from ambient at that point. Um, well, and the, and the basic idea behind the, the system, I mean, so the reason for the jacket name, of course, is that there's you know, that, that big insulated, you know, sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah, the, right. big, yeah <laughs> big, uh, big sleeping bag that goes around your fermenter. But then the actual cooling is done essentially by a giant anodized heat sink. Correct. In the middle. That then, uh, then the pizos, uh, you know, right? It's, are those pizos? Uh, Peltier. Peltier. Pel uh, sorry, yeah. yeah, not pizos. Drew's been drinking. <laughs> oh, it's just been a long time since Drew dealt with electronics, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Peltier, yeah, Peltier coolers. Yeah, uh, they're actually then drawing the heat up through the the rod. Correct. And then blowing it out. Correct. So. Absolutely. Right. It's, and it, I think one of the biggest things about it is like people have played around with Peltier coolers a lot because I mean, hey, it's a nice electric way of cooling. But the problem is that they, they, their efficiency is based on so much of how well they're fitted. Right. Yeah, we have precision uh, assembly. And uh, I'm 
doing some of that, and I can vouch for it. It, it has to be clean. <laughs> Chris, make sure it's precision. But I, I'm almost curious with that big, heavy rod that's that's going in there. Just even how much of a heat sink that that rod would serve as, with even out actually any active cooling on top of it. Wow, that's a good question. Uh, never tried that. Well. Well, there we go. You can do, uh, put it in your fermenter and don't plug it in and yeah. let us know what happens. See what happens. Well, I mean, like, yeah, or, yeah don't plug it in and just blow a fan across the top of it or something, you know, just so you get some of the heat dispossession. But, okay. And one of the things I wanted to mention about it is that you guys have thoughtfully done is this is an aluminum rod, so you can't subject it to super low pH like you're making a sour beer. So they make these cool little plastic bags that fit around the rod so you just don't have to worry about it. And the other thing that I actually think is a plus is that you need you need to sanitize it with iodophore. Uh, because, again, if you use star sand, the pH will be too low. And the reason I think that that's cool is that everybody out there should be using iodophore in their brewery at the very least once in a while because it will take care of things that star sand doesn't. So, to me, it's like, it's like a double plus, man. When I... Uh, when I'm using the brew jacket on a brew day, I get to know that all my other equipment is going through that iota for and knocking out the wild yeast also. Awesome. Yeah. And the one thing I, of course, uh, I tend to ferment in 10-gallon corny kegs, and you guys sent me a lid for a corny keg. Yep. That I, and I still haven't put it into the 10-gallon because I know the jacket doesn't the jacket doesn't quite fit the 10-gallon perfectly. Not quite, but... But I still want to, I, I still want to do it. I still want to see how low it low will go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh I've drilled some of those lids and made that hole in there, but yeah. it's uh, <laughs> well, like like when when I first got the unit, I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I could I could just take a spare corny lid and drill it open. I'm like, that's going to be painful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You don't want to really do that. We actually do uh, offer drill pre-drilled lids for all of the compatible fermenters. So anything you have for right, monster, you send me a bucket lid that works great. We man. have bucket. We have uh, SS Brutech seven and three five gallon uh, pre-drilled. Everything's ready to go. It's a plug and play, right? I mean, and and this is a this is a great product. Like, if you're the kind of guy like I used to be, who fermented in a closet, I used to put my fermenter in a bucket of water to try and maintain the temperature. This would have been great then. I use a chest freezer now, but when I'm doing that, I mean, any, anything that goes in has to be at that temperature. If I'm crashing a lager or something like that, I need some other way to brew. And this is this is a relatively inexpensive and and low size impact way to get a second fermentation cham- chamber set up. Absolutely, small footprint. That's yeah, exactly. Kind of what we were shooting for. Yes, that's what's really cool, man. I can just set it on the floor of my garage, right next to the chest freezer, and be doing two different batches at different temperatures. Yeah, we have a lot of folks that have small apartments, studio apartments in New York City, Chicago. There's no room for them to brew, and with brew jacket, it can be in there. In yeah. their bedroom with them, and no problem. It's really not taking up any space. And I, as I was saying to somebody earlier today, the cool thing is, is it does exactly what you guys say it's going to do. Cool. <laughs> you know, uh, my, again, my garage is between 45 and 85, and it just holds that temp. It's really cool. That's it. We climb within a half degree. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm seeing. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's great. I think you guys should definitely go uh, check out the brew jacket. Uh, like we also said, uh, the amphora-shaped uh, uh, genesis that are over here are actually a really nice new sort of thing to on the fermentation market. And I really do like the liner uh, just for you know, ease of use. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, uh, all us lazy human beings out there, it just makes my life way simpler. And I also don't have to worry about infecting anything. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, those are wonderful and uh, actually a very nice just 
easy to carry fermenter as well. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. And anything else that you guys got? Uh, the last thing that we pulled in uh, recently, uh, we were getting some um, uh, feedback from a lot of people about uh, not having a really high durable uh, brew in a bag system. So right. we actually picked up the brew bag, uh, which is a 200 micron, bre- 200 micron bag that is actually uh, hand sewn. Um, so uh, the company that uh, makes this uh, called Brew in a Bag, uh, they um, have tons of different varieties, but what's really cool about it is if uh, you don't like the sizes that they have, you can ask your local homebrew shop to order them right. in a custom bag. And so it'll work for you know a five-gallon batch, a five-barrel batch, or if you really wanted to, you could do a 50-barrel batch. I don't know why you want to try to do it in your garage. <laughs> really? but, uh, I, I had them actually go make me one for my 26-gallon uh, oh. Fermentec kettle. Awesome. That's really cool. How was, uh, how was pulling that thing out of there? I don't know. I haven't dared yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you- they're, they're really great bags, man. They're really well-made, heavy-duty. Uh, as a matter of fact, I use mine to do a 20-minute uh, mash, 20-minute boil pale ale. Oh, very cool. I, you know, one of, the, one of the funny stories we heard about it when they were setting it up, uh, the guy who designed it uh, got a little old lady uh, in Illinois to, to sort of sew the first ones. And it turns out she was a teetotaler. So she had this real problem uh, making these <laughs> bags. So he finally had to export it out and use a different company. But, um, you know, uh, the handles that are associated with it are super heavy duty. Yep. And yeah. really, you know, uh, you talk about uh, sticking it in the boil. Um, it's almost impossible to burn these things. I mean, you really got to get that heat cranked up. Right. Uh, I'm sure you guys are going to try that at some point. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> we were, as a matter of fact, we were using one yesterday. We were shooting a promo video for our new book, and we used one in, in the pot. And Drew and I went through a big uh, debate about whether to put it in before we heated the water or not. Yeah. I said before because that's what I always do. Drew was just sure that that would burn. No, no. No, you, no I wasn't sure it was going to burn it. I just didn't feel comfortable. <laughs> No, you, you put it in there. I think it's supposedly this thing is well up into the 300 degree mark. Right, you're yep. having to burn it. And the other thing too is um, uh, the material it's made out of, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. It's essentially indestructible. The only way you can really do it is if you're really pressing it with like some sort of press, or uh, if you cut it open. Right. So and, and of course, it's totally flavor neutral. I mean, right, there's, yeah. there's no taste that comes out of that. No, bag absolutely, whatsoever. absolutely not. Yeah. So. Uh, we're, you know, we're really excited about it. Um, it should be hitting stores here uh, pretty soon from us. Cool. Yeah, cool. so th- those brew bags are really awesome. Those, those are great, uh, great little things. Yeah, absolutely. So if your homebrew store isn't already carrying any of this stuff and you want to tell them to get in touch with Brewcraft and order it for you because Brewcraft is happy to ship it to them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank we you. We love the products, um, and uh, it was great talking to you. Thanks, guys. Thank we you. Gotcha. Thank you. And I don't know. Is that? I think. I think it could be. Are we finally done? I. Th- I think it's about time. Oh, Charlie! Oh, Charlie, come on over. <laughs> oh, we have a very special. Uh, come in and sit down and grab something. I think there's a blue corn beer from Chile there. Yep. As long as it's not chicha. Well, it's it's chicha inspired, but it's oh. it's an actual beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, purple corn. Jimmy is that Hendrix, the purple huh? or is that the yellow? Purple. No, yeah, right. Purple porn? Yeah, purple, yeah. <laughs> purple, like... purple porn. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Grab a set of headphones and sit down there, sir. You make the same right. kind of sounds I do when I sit down. <laughs> I think when you reach a certain age, it's required that you do that. So, thanks so much for taking the time to come by today, man. We really appreciate it. There's nobody in this mirror. Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> you need you need to get right up close to that mic because there's a lot of background noise. So, so this is a, a rather auspicious conference for you, isn't it? Well, how do you define auspicious? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sounds like a good name for a beer, though. <laughs> <laughs> you're right; it does. So you're uh, you're going into semi-retirement, right? Oh. All I can say is that I'm ex exiting the Brewers Association, and whatever happens after that is happens, you know? Yeah, and that's the way life <laughs> should be, isn't it? It's like the best, best things that have happened in my life were unanticipated and unexpected. So I'm not trying to plan anything at this point. I'm just going to see what happens. So you don't have anything in mind? Uh, have, you got, have you got a beer that you're just dying to brew now that you have time? No, I always have time to brew. You are a lucky guy. <laughs> if I, you must not write books and do podcasts anymore. If I need to brew beer, I find time. Wow. There you go, man. Well, I, was, I was going to ask, all those years ago when you, when you wrote the first book and when you started the AHA, did, did it ever occur to you that it was going to become this, this thing, this big? Uh, well, well, yeah. I, when I drank too much of my own homebrew, yeah, I had, <laughs> I had, I had pretty strange visions of it being a monster. But uh, I never, you know, I could I could imagine the numbers, but I never imagined the impact. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, that's true, man, because, you know, all these people started homebrewing, and now they've gone off and opened breweries and done things like that. That's right. Started started writing books and making podcasts. <laughs> I mean, I, I I came to my first AHA homebrew conference when it was in LA in 2001, right? Because that's where I live. And you could have fit the whole conference in just this one space that we're in right now. Yeah, it, God, it was. I remember that conference. It was uh, <laughs> right near the airport. Yeah, right? it was. It was right across the street from LAX. <laughs> And we were super proud of the fact that we got 500 people to that conference. Wow, that many? Yeah, that many. <laughs> <laughs> and now, like we were talking to Gary earlier today, I mean, this one's over 3,000. I mean, that's, I'm, that's crazy. Yep, that was the, uh, I think that was the answer to the chant, free beer, free beer, remember? <laughs> <laughs> that always works, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, so what's your favorite part of the conference? Oh, right now, hanging out with you guys, having oh, a beer. This guy is so smooth. He knows exactly what to say. <laughs> I don't know what, what, so many cool things happening here. I guess it's the people and the different faces and right. different stories. And, and I, I think like, that that's a, a pretty consistent thing, man. People just love coming here and seeing their other, the other friends and people that they don't see except at these things. I know that's true for me. Well, and we were joking earlier at breakfast that it's pretty much a universal that the very first person or one of the very first people that we'll ever see when we ever come to conference is uh, Jim Homer. Yeah. Like, there's, uh, you know, no matter what, it's like, oh, hey, I walked into the hotel. There's, there's Jim. Jim. <laughs> that's right. Every single year when I come, Jim is the first person I run into. And yeah. I think he's been to every one, hasn't he? I think he's missed one. He's uh, had some family medical stuff that he had to attend to one year, and so he couldn't make it. Oh. Same but, thing but with me. I've been, I've been to all but one myself. So, and that was an emergency thing that I had to deal with. So, wow. you know, like it's, life happens. Yeah, it sure it does. does, doesn't it? <laughs> well, now, now, now that you're kind of 
stepping away from the organization, even though they got the big sign of you out there in the ohm, in the phone <laughs> position. Uh, that they've they've sworn to me, they're taking it back to the office because they want to have it. You know, are you still are you still going to be making it next year in Providence? I'm hoping to. That's what I told the gal, two gals that are at the Providence booth over there. I said I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see. Awesome, great, Charlie. Well, we won't keep you any longer, man, because you can drift around and say hi to people and have a lot of beers out there. But thank you so much for coming by and talking to all of our fans. Sure. And, and I, I, I can't thank you enough for setting up an atmosphere that makes it possible for us to do this, but also makes it possible for this entire thing to happen. That's right, man. Your whole attitude is what makes this right. So thank you. Well, like I say, relax, don't worry. Have a homebrew. Find some homebrew. (laughs) That's right. The brew is out there. Thanks a lot, Charlie. You bet. All right. And I guess we can't be any more complete than that, can we? No, I think think that's it. That's going out on a high note. Yep, that's right. So uh, before we get out of here, we want to thank all of our sponsors of the podcast that make this possible, that uh, let us come and do crazy things like this. uh, And... uh, We'll see you all next time on Experimental Brewing.